Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Presented by T Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Let's do this. Another day, another dollar, another edition of The Drive. You're listening to The Drive on 6th and Sports Radio, 6thandsports.com, and the Odyssey app. My name is Karen Harrison. Excited to be here with you on this wonderful Thursday. Look outside. Spring feels like it's here. It is going to be 71 degrees this Sunday. So I hope that you have a lot of great springtime activities planned for you and yours. You listen to The Drive on 610 Sports Radio. My name is Karenson Harrison. Happy to be here. Rob Brenton is here as well, taking you up until 6 o'clock. Let me give you an itinerary of what we have planned for today's show. If you missed it, Eric Hosmer was on Fesco in the morning earlier today. We'll play the best of that conversation for you to hear what the future Royals Hall of Famer has to say about his time in Kansas City and his media venture as he moves forward to this next phase of his baseball baseball career as he retired from playing the game yesterday we'll hear from Eric Hosmer we also are going to have all pro right tackle Mitchell Schwartz he is going to join us in studio and I don't plan on talking about football with Mitchell Schwartz the plan today is now I got this from Rob and you guys are happy to chime in 913-586-7610 yesterday I expressed that I only eat the breakfast food at Quick Trip. And many of you were saying, Carrington, how can you knock it if you don't try it? So I gave Rob a, uh, I gave Rob $30. And I said, Rob, you get the food at Quick Trip that you think I need to try. You tell me what food I need to eat. Now, if you guys want to throw something in here, we have somebody at the station that's going out to run and get the order. So we're going to do this at 4 o'clock, right, Rob? Mitchell Schwartz is coming in at 4 o'clock. Tell people the four foods that you wrote down on the list that I'm going to be trying from Quick Trip. So if people are mad and they're saying, well, Carrington, why didn't you get this? I didn't have anything to do with this other than I paid for the food. As of now, the current list of items we'll be trying based on exhaustive research of the most popular items are, in no order, the grilled cheese, the chicken bacon ranch flatbread, the brisket taco, and the mac and cheese. Editors know I did not, you know, add any spice or anything to the mac and cheese or grilled cheese. These are just as they are. No buffalo chicken, no brisket, no nothing. Just mac and cheese, just grilled cheese. Keep it plain to start out. 
You know what? I am willing to add one thing to the list. We can call this one, you know, text line choice, 913-586-7610. Because at first you put pretzel on there, and I said, you know what? I trust I trust Quick Trip's ability to make a good pretzel. So we, we remove that from the list. We do have room for one more thing on the list, 913-586-7610, Rob. So we'll call this text line's choice. So be watching the text line. Be monitoring the text line. If you want to add one thing to our Quick Trip taste test, we will be doing this coming up at 4 o'clock. We have a lot planned over the course of the next four hours, but nothing more important than this. Pizza time on the drive. Carrington, dial me up right now. Caller number six, 913-586-7610. They win a pizza from our friends over at Pizza Tasio. Pizza Tasio is Kansas' best New York-style pizza, and they've taken over the town. They got a new spot in Waldo, plus they got locations in OP, Lee Summit, Midtown, North KC, St. Joe, and Lawrence. So whether you're in the mood for maybe a whole pie or maybe just a couple slices is more your move, be sure to visit them now at PizzaTasio.com. That's Pizza T-A-S-C-I-O. I need you guys to do me a couple of favors. Number one, I need you listening each day to the show at 2 o'clock. Number two, I need you to tell one friend. You don't have to tell two friends, but for the best pizza in Kansas City and some of the best sports talk in the world, keep it locked in right here on 610 Sports Radio. So, Rob, I was sitting down at the computer earlier today when I was getting ready for the show and you know, Nate Taylor wrote down his Chiefs offseason checklist and to-do list, so I started kind of writing mine down as well. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, this is actually really, really easy. Now, I didn't go all the way down to 10, but I think the Chiefs offseason can kind of be summarized into five moves. And, Rob, you tell me if you think that these are right, wrong, and we can go through them. Number one. The Chiefs have a possible Hall of Famer, and I think it's fair to call him likely Hall of Famer in Chris Jones, who is about to hit free agency. We know how last offseason went with him missing basically all of the offseason workouts and also missing the first game of the season. They have a pretty big decision. I would say one of the biggest decisions of any team this offseason in the National Football League. Now, this decision is made more complicated by the fact that if you franchise tag Chris Jones, he is then owed $32 million guaranteed, and any contract that you are going to discuss with Chris Jones has to go off the basis that you owe him $32 million for this upcoming season. So I don't believe that the Chiefs are going to franchise tag Chris Jones. But if we are talking about what's the number one thing on the Chiefs offseason checklist, is you're not going to be here tomorrow, and we also have Royals baseball. So today is the perfect day, I think, to unveil this checklist. The number one thing on the Chiefs checklist this offseason is a decision needs to be made about Chris Jones. If you are going to move forward long-term with Chris Jones, then that announcement needs to happen in the next 14 days or so. We are not that far from the start of the league year. Next Thursday, so a week from today, the NFL Combine is going, and every team in the league is going to be there. And they're going to be discussing franchise tags. They're going to be discussing trade value for players. And we are very soon about to start seeing movement in the National Football League. We're probably 10 days away from that movement. I think those conversations usually happen in Indianapolis 
And then in the days following the combine, you start to see moves happen. The Bears will make a decision about what they want to do with Caleb Williams. Maybe a draft day trade happens after that, and the team moves up in the draft or move backs in the draft. I think we are about 10 to 14 days away from seeing real movement in the NFL. So if you're Kansas City, and let's say that you don't want to franchise tag Chris Jones, that you want to reach a long-term agreement, you have two weeks The deadline to make a decision about the franchise tag is March 5th when it comes to Chris Jones. I think that is the number one offseason decision that this team has. Number two, it's almost in line with the Chris Jones decision. You have a very talented corner in the prime of his career in Legereus Sneed. Those are the two biggest decisions. What are you going to do with Chris Jones? What are you going to do with Legereus Sneed? Those two decisions are, to me, are tied together. I have told you guys what I would do. I would franchise tag Legereus Sneed, and I would let Chris Jones walk in free agency. We'll see if that's what the Chiefs do this offseason. Number three, and I guess the number one addition to the team, they got to go get a wide receiver. I know they have made it work over the last 12 months without that, but we saw how frustrated Patrick Mahomes was in the offseason and in the regular season. He was yelling at everybody there for about a month. If you're Patrick Mahomes, you know what I would like? I would like my regular season to be a little less stressful this year. So you're going to have some cap space. We'll see what decision you have with Chris Jones. You're also going to have MVS off the books. Now it's time for you to spend a little bit of money in free agency. You don't need to go spend T. Higgins money as he might get $20, $25 million. But it's time for the Chiefs to put a little bit of financial investment in going to go get a wide receiver. Mike Evans is a possibility. Calvin Ridley is also a possibility. Maybe Michael Pittman Jr. This is a decent class for uh, for wide receiver free agents. I don't think there's a whole lot of big-time game-changing players, and I like T. Higgins. But he's probably a strong two, possibly a 1B, but not a guy that I would really break the bank for, especially in a year in which we think there could be five or six wide receivers that go in round one of the NFL draft. So number one is decide what you want to do with Chris Jones. Number two is Legereus Need. You can flip-flop those if you want, but it's a 1A, 1B. The number one addition for me would be a wide receiver. Number four for me, Rob, would be left tackle. This year, they kind of piecemealed it together on a one-year deal with Donovan Smith. I would like this organization to find a more permanent solution at the position. For the most part, they've got a pretty solid plan in place at every other position. You've got Joe Tooney. You have him under contract. You have Creed Humphrey under contract. We'll see if you reach an extension with him. You have Trey Smith. Same thing applies to him as applies to Creed Humphrey. And you've also spent money on right tackle. They currently do not have a left tackle on their team. That seems like something they should address this offseason, and I obviously expect them to address it. I would put that as number four. And then for me, Rob, number five, and why I say that I think this is a pretty easy offseason for the Kansas City Chiefs, it's about continuing to find deals for this team. They have done a really good job in the last 12 to 14 months of having really solid veteran signings. Whether it was Justin Watson on a one-year deal, whether it was keeping Jarek McKinnon on one-year deals, whether it was Drew Tranquil, you signed him to a deal. Donovan Smith last year, you picked up on a one-year deal. If you're going to pay your quarterback what you're paying him, and you're thinking of maybe signing a defensive tackle or signing a corner to a big-time deal, you want to make a move in free agency at a wide receiver. So we're talking about you taking on big contract extensions. You're going to have to continue to draft well and also 
find really good value in free agency. And you have done a good job of that over the course of the last few seasons. So I think this offseason is pretty straightforward for the Chiefs. You got to make a decision on Jones and Snead. I'd like for them to go get a wide receiver. They need to address left tackle as they currently don't have one. Maybe you think that's Wanya Morris. We'll see if that's the plan for this organization. And the last thing I have on my checklist, Rob, is just continue to make smart one-year and two-year signings. There's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. They've never overpaid for a one-year deal. And for the most part, the contracts that they've got guys to sign, they've been great value for the Chiefs. How they got Drew Tranquil last year on a one-year $3 million deal is beyond me, and he provided certainly more value. So maybe his price goes up a little bit, but he's expressed that he wants to come back. You want Drew Tranquil back. I expect him to be on the team. You're going to have to make some moves. Maybe you don't bring Mike Dana back, so you have to – uh, replace that move. Charles Amina, who might miss the early part of the season, the same way that you found him, go out in free agency and make a similar kind of move. That's my offseason checklist for the Chiefs. I think it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. I I feel like it's kind of the obvious checklist. Like, I'm not knocking the checklist. It seems like the obvious, hey, this is the situation. This is what Chiefs need to do. But I agree. I would have left tackle higher on my list than you, but that's because I'm going to continue to put a premium on protecting Patrick Mahomes, and I don't think Juwan Taylor or Wanye Morris is the solution. I don't think you find franchise left tackles at pick 32 or 64, but outside of that, me and you are relatively on the same page. Text line 913-586-7610. Is there something that you would add to the Chiefs offseason checklist? We can take your phone calls coming up on the side. We'd also continue to read your text, 913-586-7610. The Chiefs, as we head into the offseason, and we are one week away from the combine, and I expect movement to start to happen, the offseason picture to me for Kansas City is a pretty clear one. We'll talk about that more coming up on the other side. And... There continues to be more smoke and fire around the Chiefs adding Mike Evans. We'll get you the Vegas odds next. Keep it right here. It's The Drive. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Remember to follow the show on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Kansas City, it's Isaiah Pacheco. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. There has been some player movement during the commercial break. Tommy Townsend is a free agent, and the Chiefs have made a signing at punter. The Chiefs are signing former Bills punter Matt Ariza. That's how you pronounce his last name. You guys might remember Matt Ariza. He got in some off-the-field issues, to say the least. From Adam Schefter, in December, former San Diego State and Bills punter Matt Ariza was dismissed from a lawsuit that alleged a 17-year-old girl was raped at an off-campus party in 2021 after an agreement was reached with the girl. She was identified as Jane Doe. You certainly can read more about it. Admittedly, I do not know a whole lot about this story when it comes to Matt Arise. I certainly will do my reading up on it, but it sounds to me like he was cleared, and there is no question that he is one of the best college punting prospects that we have seen in a while. And if you are the Chiefs or any NFL team, and option one is paying Tommy Townsend, which seems relative given the position that he plays, or you got an opportunity to buy a really, really high prospect at a position, 
likely at a really, really low cost. You took the opportunity to do with Matt Ariza. This makes sense. He was going to be on somebody's team in the National Football League, and we now have the answer. He has been signed by the Kansas City Chiefs. I do not think that Tommy Townsend is coming back. I don't think this is some situation in which you are asking Tommy Townsend to compete for the job or you have Matt Ariza on the practice squad next year. No, the Chiefs made their decision. They're going to let Tommy Townsend walk in free agency and go get paid from another organization, and they are going to go in a different direction and sign a player, which I'm guessing, to a relatively cheap deal with a lot of incentives and also protections that if something goes wrong off the field, they can very easily get out of that contract. That's my expectation as well. But, And I don't know what Tommy Townsend's number is going to be. I, it's a punter. I can't imagine he's very expensive. But the fact that Chiefs are the first team to take a risk, let's call it a risk. He had a rape lawsuit from an allegation that stemmed back in 2021. He got drafted by the Bills and has never punted in the NFL to sign that player and presumptively make him your starting punter is a little bit of a risk. I mean, it's a punter, so I guess it's a small risk money-wise, but it seems like an odd move to save a little bit of money considering Tommy Townsend's been all pro good, and you figure he's not break break the bank money-wise. He's a punter. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. Tommy Townsend this year made $2.6 million, the highest-paid punter in the National Football League makes around $3.6 million. So like most people, I'm assuming that Tommy Townsend wanted a raise based on last season. So do you want to spend top five punter money in the National Football League and give him 3 to $4 million a year? I think the Chiefs have very clearly given you their answer. No, we don't want to do that. And we think that we can get comparable production for a fraction of the cost. I mean, how much do you think Matt Ariza is going to make this year on the team? Seven hundred and fifty. Maybe 1.25, somewhere in that range. And if we are talking in terms of a prospect, if you were just going off what they did in college, Matt Arise is a better punter than Tommy Townsend. And Tommy Townsend is one of the best punters in the National Football League. But if we are going off the kind of prospect that he was, and we're not talking about a running back where you question if that's going to translate to the next level, they added one of the best punter in the world on, uh, in the world on their team at a fraction of the cost if they were playing the least one. As a football move, I think they made the right decision. And admittedly, I do not know a whole lot about the backstory and the off the field issue with Matt Ariza. I remember the lawsuit, and remember he got drafted by the Bills, and almost immediately after being drafted, this came out. They made the decision to release him and he has not been in the league while this thing gets cleared up it has now been cleared up he is eligible to be picked up and we all know how the nfl works they can claim morality all the time but if you can play and you get cleared or found innocent they will find a room for you if you have talent he is one of the best players in the world at his position and a good team took a chance on him a team that certainly has enough goodwill built up and they have a strong enough special teams room that if there was a team that could take a chance on Matt Ariza, it was the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, the more as I look through and try to do on-the-fly research here, because I'll admit I didn't open the show with the thought of, hey, we're going to talk about Matt Ariza, so let's look up all the allegations around what happened to him in San Diego State and then the lawsuit that was subsequently followed by it. But it does appear he was cleared of any wrongdoing. The San Diego District Count, District Attorney announced that it would not be filing any criminal charges Media outlets in San Diego, according to an AP story, obtained a recording of those meetings where Jane Doe then said that based on witness's statement, he wasn't at the party when the alleged rape occurred. So if the NFL is as good as they say they are at background checking and finding the truth, 
then I would say that the Chiefs signing him was a sign that, hey, a, a further sign beyond just the drop of allegations and drop a lawsuit that, hey, he's been cleared of any wrongdoing and it's time to get back to the NFL. It is worth noting from an on-the-field perspective, he has not punted a single NFL football. Like, in college, he was as I mean, good not as a regular it, season game. He's, he punted right. in the preseason for the team. I mean, he, I mean, just... I mean, it's both. We know he's gonna be, he, we know he was great in college, but he does have a track record of zero stats in his yeah, resume. No, that's fair. That's fair. I guess, I'm, I mean, I, I'm seeing people saying, hey, this is going to change the kicking game. I, I, I'm just looking at how he was as a college player, and I think we at least have to acknowledge that this is, this is a little bit different in your ability to translate than if we were talking about a wide receiver here. Like, we were talking about a guy in 2021 was named best punter in college football and was about to make a team and was having a lot of success and then something off the field happens, and he has been very adamant. I am innocent, I am innocent, I am innocent, and he is now eligible to play. I, I understand why the Chiefs made the move to go do it. Like, if you're talking about cutting costs and getting younger and cheaper at a position, they got younger at a position, they got cheaper at a position, and they potentially got better at a position. I I, I understand why they made the decision to move on from Tommy Townsend and bring in Matt Ariza. Maybe this is just me. And it's possible it's 100% me. Are you stunned by the amount of can he hold comments on the text line? When did holder become a thing that we are really worried about with the Kansas City Chiefs? I trust Dave Tobe to make the operation go. Remember when Tommy Townsend wasn't holding it right and it was never a problem again after one media comment from Dustin Colquitt? So please spare me your text on the text line of, can he hold? I don't care if he can hold. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm just reading to you what people I know, are saying. It's not I you. don't know. I'm not, I, I admittedly, I'm not here to break down Matt Arise's ability to hold for extra points and field goals. I'm sorry. I, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I wish that I had an answer for you on it. I really wish that I did. I don't. I do, I do not have the information. I'm sorry. Do you guys want us to get somebody on that can break down his holding and punting skills? We got free time today. Rob, you want to call somebody from San Diego State or Buffalo to learn more about Matt Arise? I'm here to do that today. I want to give the people the content that they want. We get up Jeremy White. We got Jay Skursky. You want to get Jay Skursky on on Matt Arise and his ability to hold for the team? We can do that. This is an honest question. Did he ever hold in a, a football game in Buffalo that we are aware of? Also, I love Jeremy White. He's a friend of the show. Yeah. Do we think he's a holding expert? He might be. I don't know. Laces out. I mean, uh, is, is, is he doing that? Because if he's doing laces out, then I think he's doing almost every possible thing that you could do. Uh, I, I will be intrigued to see how the rest of the league responds to this move, given what he was accused of in college. And given the fact that I I feel, I mean, at, at least based on what we saw, I mean, he never got charged with anything and the lawsuit got dropped. I I mean, if, if you subscribe to that innocent until proven guilty and you should be allowed to go on and move on with your life, I, Matt Ariza to me has done everything that you're supposed to do in this scenario. And I think the NFL handled it appropriately. I think the Bills handled it appropriately. You were accused of violence against a woman. We immediately cut you. You have been out of the league until you resolve this issue. The issue is now resolved. You were allowed to move on with your life and continue to work. And a team took a chance on you. His talent has shown through. And, I mean, I think we can all agree 
He will now be on a zero-strike policy. If you get accused of something or do something, Matt Ariza should be off the team almost instantly. You got a second chance. You are not guaranteed a third chance, especially not as a punter in the National Football League. If you mess, it, if you mess up again, you're out of here. You're done. You're cooked. You're cooked. Someone said it's not about breaking down the skills. It's about chemistry. I, the Chiefs seem fine to roll the dice. I mean, they didn't really waste a whole lot of time here. I, I understand the concern about Tommy Townsend. I guess I would say if whenever Tommy Townsend is on the field, it's normally not an outcome that you are happy with. They either have to settle for three or they have to give up possession to the other team. Like, it's normally not good when Tommy Townsend is there. And I don't know why I should be so worried about the chemistry that they have. They still are, are, complete, are they still cleaning up the confetti in downtown Kansas City and they made the decision to get rid of Tommy Townsend. So far, they have made one decision this offseason and they got him off the team almost instantly. It ain't been two weeks since the Super Bowl and they already made the decision. So the Chiefs feel very, very confident letting Tommy Townsend move on as punter. So I'm, you know, I'm, in, I'm inclined to at least, uh, I'm at least agree. I'm, I'm going to be on their side with this one, at least for the time being, until proven otherwise. And we'll see if they're wrong when it comes to Tommy Townsend. That's the breaking news story that the Chiefs, they are getting a new punter. Tommy Townsend is gone. His flowing locks will be punting for another team. And Matt Ariza is going to be kicking for the Kansas City Chiefs. Coming up on the side, there's a question that went viral today about sports movies. We'll ask you the question next. Keep it right here, Sir Drive. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esqually Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this on your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. Download the Odyssey app and listen to The Drive with Carrington wherever you are. People on the text line are, I would say, very split about, at least it would appear, that the Chiefs are not going to bring back Tommy Townsend. They have signed Matt Ariza. He is a punter. He was on Buffalo. He had an off-the-field incident, and he has been cleared of all the charges, and he is now back in the league. He is going to play for your Kansas City Chiefs. I would like to pass one bit of information. People are asking how his holding, and I I don't know. I don't have the answer to that, but I am here to report. I guess what I could just very easily Google for you about Matt Ariza is his last year of college, his average punt was 58, excuse me, 56.78. If he does that in the NFL, he would have been the best punter last year in the league, at least from an average standpoint. Now we can go inside the 20, however you would classify who the best punter is. If he is just simply the exact same punter that he was in college, he'd be the best punter in the National Football League. Seems pretty important. And I'm assuming the Chiefs got him at a deal. I'm assuming they got him for the low. And you put him with a very, very good special teams coach, very well respected, that I'm going to guess that that person is also vouching for Matt Ariza. And I'm assuming that they have done a very good job of vetting his background and they know his story. And they obviously feel very comfortable about bringing him in. So I'm inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt on this one. I'm 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 going to side with them on this one. Rob, I saw a tweet that was going around and the tweet was what is the most unrealistic thing that you can recall happening in a sports movie? This was tweeted out by Dylan Powell earlier today. Well, Rob, I have my answer for what's the most unrealistic thing that I can recall happening in a sports movie. You know what? I'll give you 3. 
Number one for me is going to be rookie of the year. Henry Rowan Gardner was a below average athlete. Henry Rowan Gardner was playing right field, hitting eighth for his little league team. He had a tragic accident, broke his arm. Don't wish that on anybody. And next thing you know, him and his friends are sitting in the outfield at the, at the Cubs game. And a home run gets hit, which happened pretty frequently for the Cubs in the mid-90s. They were giving up a lot of home runs. And now you guys know you got to throw the ball back onto the field. He didn't just throw the ball back on the field. This arm injury turned him into Bo Jackson, and he threw an absolute strike, a laser from right field to home plate. And then, next thing you know, he goes from spectator to now as a 12-year-old. He is the closer for the Chicago Cubs. And, Rob, let's take it one step further. He eventually loses his power. Yes, his arm goes back to normal, and you know what? He's back to the same mediocre, average kid that he was before. How does he get the best power hitter in baseball out at the end of the movie? I'm sorry I'm going to spoil it for you, but this movie came out in 1997. If you haven't seen it by now, I'm sorry you've had your opportunities. Rob, he throws a flutter ball. I mean, straight underhand, slow pitch, flutter ball. It was slower than my first pitch at Kauffman Stadium last year. Absolute noodle arm. Do it underhand. And you're telling me a big league hitter, he swung and missed? No, you know what happens. If Rookie of the Year was a real movie, that man hits the ball into the apartment complexes across the street Henry Rowan Gardner loses the game for the Cubs. They don't go to the World Series. And Henry Rowan Gardner, his mom, and that journeyman pitcher that she started sleeping with on his on her son's baseball team, they have to move and go somewhere else because Henry Rowan Gardner can never go back to Chicago. That's how Rookie of the Year happens if it's a real movie. That's number one on my list. Number two on my list, Rob, is the movie The Program. Now, I love the movie The Program. Joe Kane started off the movie as Joe Burrow, Heisman candidate. Oh, he was going to have a fantastic season. He had at least three near-death incidents in the movie. And while the college football season was going on, he entered rehab. You don't come back and play football for that team in the same season. No. Sure, maybe you get in trouble off the field and the team covers it up. But if you were at the point in the midst of you guys still have a chance to win your conference and win your bowl game, and you have to check yourself into rehab, you don't come back for the final game of the season to help. No, that's not how it works. You know what? You're done for the rest of the year. You're done. I'll give you one more movie, Rob, the movie Blue Chips. For their local paper, they put together one of the greatest investigations that I've ever seen. I mean, they got pictures of Ricky Rowe getting briefcases of money and getting brand new tractors. No local, no, no, no local newspaper is doing that. They also put this investigation together over the course of a college basketball season. No, no chance. Those are my top three most unrealistic things that have happened in a sports movie. Listen, I have two and I'm stunned you didn't have my two. Like your three are fine. They're not realistic moments but i think you're getting too much in the weeds of the actual sports let's talk about the two most unrealistic moments in sports movie history number one air bud <laughs> can you imagine if 
parents listening, let's say your kid is playing, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade basketball, and he has a game on Saturday at, I don't know, Lee Summit Middle School. Just grab a town. And you show up and it's like, all right, the Panthers have a chance to win the game, and they have a chance to become the champs of the Lee Summit League. And you sit down, and the opponent walks in. They're like, yeah, their starting point guard's a golden retriever. And he starts hooping. You would be like, darn, that dog got us and walked out. Air Bud no. is one of the great athletes of our generation. You talk about Bo Jackson, a multi-sport athlete that could play baseball and football. Deion Sanders, also a multiple-sport athlete. How dare you disrespect Air Bud when Air Bud shown you that he could be messy on the soccer field, he could be Irving Fryer as a wide receiver, he also was Steve Nash on the court. How dare you disrespect disrespect Airbud on this show? That's what you're gonna do. You're gonna disrespect it. I'm sure if you took him out to your driveway and tossed the ball, he could bounce it off his nose into the basket. That's awesome. But you're telling me he dribbled up the floor, yeah. and then passed the ball. And then in the big moments, no one could figure out how to defend a dog who is at no more than. Six to nine inches off the ground and Speedy. swat his shot. Come on. Speedy point guard. Also, Someone on the text line sent this, and I'm inclined to agree. I will accept I will accept no Airbud slander on these airwaves. I'm with you. <laughs> nah, I'm with you. I can't believe this. This is a little bit out of pocket for you. Fine, fine. If you don't want Airbud's most unrealistic, I got another one for you. Are you ready? Little Big League. The owner of the Twins tragically passes away. And, and they he, put a kid in charge. He left the team to his grandson, who was like 11. First off, can you imagine the ownership group was like, yep, sounds good to me. The 11-year-old's yeah. in charge. There's a million reasons why that's flawed. And then the 11-year-old becomes in charge. You know what he first does? Installs himself as GM. Real. Yeah, you can do that when you own the team. Then he thinks to himself, man, the manager's not playing the team I own and have built properly. I'm going to fire the manager. I was going to have all three jobs. I, at 11 years old and no experience in baseball, can manage, general manage, and own this team. All the while, they start becoming this plucky underdog story where the journeyman or past his prime first baseman starts sleeping with his mom and he's totally okay with this. <laughs> Yo, it was a, I, every movie doesn't need a love interest. Like there is no reason in rookie of the year. There's no reason why your son joins the Cubs. And now you just start dating Jamie Moyer. Like why? Like, why are you doing this? Your kid works there now. It seems like there's a lot going on that you're trying to get your swerve on with Bruce Chin. And then in Little Big League, you're right. What? Every movie doesn't need a love interest. It could just be about baseball. It could just be the text line is saying, what about like Mike with Little Bow Wow who finds the magical Jordans and now he just turns into Kyrie Irving. That's also a great one. I'm going to give you guys this one, and you guys know how. Rest in peace to Carl Weathers. The first Rocky movie is either unrealistic or Apollo Creed's a bum. Here we go. It's one of the two. It, it can't be both. Can you imagine right now, Rob, if they just found a random fighter down at the YMCA? Because that's who Rocky Balboa was, a random fighter down at the YMCA. And they just put him in the ring with Tyson Fury. And he took Tyson Fury the distance, and it was a split decision. No, one of two things have to be true. 
I'm sorry. Don't we learn in Rocky 2, though, that he's legit? Like, don't we learn throughout the Rocky series that he and Rocky were this great no, rivalry? No, I continue to learn that Apollo Creed was a fraud is what I continue to learn. That he might be the most overrated fictional athlete of all time. That's who he might be. The most overrated fictional athlete that we have ever seen. Going out of your way to disrespect the dead. R.I.P. to Carl Weathers. I love Rocky. I love Carl Weathers. I'm just telling you. You're supposed to be the heavyweight champion of the world. That's what you guys want me to believe. You want me to believe that Apollo Creed is the best boxer in the world. And this guy who didn't have a home, whose girlfriend was picking up extra shifts down at the pet shop, who didn't even have a proper training regimen, terrible diet, his training regimen consists of hitting meats and chasing chickens around, he was able to take the best fighter in the world to a split decision. No, Apollo Creed was a bum. An absolute bum is what he was. That same fighter became the champ and beat the greatest trained athlete in Russian sports history and won the Cold War. (laughs) Coming up at the top of the hour, Eric Hosmer was on Fesco in the morning. We'll play the best of that conversation for you here in a bit. Our guy Matt Verderam, shout out to him. He was on Cody and Gold earlier today, and he was asked who's more important to the Chiefs. Is it LeJarius Sneed or Chris Jones? Here's what Matt Verderam had to say. I think if you're Brett Veach, you're talking to both sides, right? You're talking to the Cats brothers with Jones, and you're talking to Safar Lawson, the agent for Jerry Sneed, and you're saying, look, uh, I'm willing to tag either one of these two players. Um, and so it, it behooves everybody to work out a long-term deal before that, that drop-dead date of the, of the tag deadline. So now, look, I don't think it's going to be easy with either one. Obviously, we already saw what this looked like with Chris Jones last summer. I think if the Chiefs are going to sign him long-term, they're going to have to up the offense. There's no question. They're going to have to get either really close to or at that $30 million a year range. But, you know, I, I think the question there is what is the term? Is it a couple of years? Is it three years? I know speaking to people in the league, they think he could get a four-year deal. So where does it land? As far as Snead goes, you know, doing due diligence, talking to people in the NFL, there's an expectation, hey, look, he could command around $15 million a year. I think if you're the Chiefs, that'd be pretty good. Maybe that number's gone up since the Super Bowl, the way he played toward the end of the playoffs. Maybe now it's more in the 17- to 18-year range. It's it's cheaper to tag Snead, but I think Jones has to be the priority right now for the Chiefs. They can they can kind of withstand losing Snead, even though they wouldn't want to. Losing Jones, I don't know how you replace him. I, under, I agree to a certain extent when it comes to Chris Jones. That if you were saying, who is the easier of the two to replace? Rob, I think you and I are on the same page, and you've made this argument. They have done a great job at corner, and if you have to go draft another corner and you don't pay Snead, I 100% agree with you. I guess what my question would be, and I'd ask this question to Matt Verderam, and I can ask it to you guys. If the Chiefs felt that way, why have they been unwilling to pay Chris Jones what the market says that he's worth. If, if, if the Chiefs view Chris Jones as an irreplaceable part of their defense, why are they so unwilling to pay him close to what the market says that he's worth? Because at some point, it becomes a supply and demand. And he plays a position where there's not a lot of great defensive tackles. And he might now be the best defensive tackle in the National Football League. I know that we like to make it seem like his agents are the worst things in the world, 
The contract that the Chiefs offered him last year is not a deal that I would tell him to sign, and I'm not his agent. If you were the best at your position and they offer you a deal that, A, doesn't give you the guaranteed money that you would get in free agency and also doesn't get you the per-year average, I would not tell my clients to sign that deal. I just don't know if the Chiefs feel the way about Chris Jones that maybe we think they do. And it would seem, at least last year, at no point did the Chiefs seem willing to budge and either give him that third year or get him closer to the per-year average that he can now get by them simply franchise-tagging him or allow him to walk in free agency. So, Rob, I agree with you, and this is the point that you have made. If you were saying who is more important, I agree that it is Chris Jones. But I don't know if that is the argument in this conversation. More so is who is going to be easier for you to resign and retain, and I think that player is obviously Snead. I think there are... Two, I mean, it's a very complex conversation with the Chiefs. I think you're right. I think when it comes to ease of re-signing a player, I believe that Snead is probably the easier player to re-sign because of what we saw all offseason with Chris Jones. I mean, a lot of people have it seared in their memory that first game of the year against the Lions where the banner was raised and he's watching a suite with his agents. That is on their head forever. I agree. I think Snead is the easier player to fix, but I also think on the field matters, and I think on the field has to matter more. Chris Jones is a more impactful player than Legereus Snead. Period. Legereus Snead's great. Chris Jones is more impactful. Second follow-up to that question on the, on the field part is if you lose Chris Jones, who's got next? I don't know. Tershawn Wharton maybe is a solid rotational player. We've only seen like one and a half years of new injury. Derek Nottie's a free agent. I assume he's back, but I know that he's not as good as Chris Jones. And then after that, it's Mike Pinnell. I know he's not as good as Chris Jones. You can draft someone, but if you draft a player at 32, that's A, not a wide receiver, so you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul, and I'm betting that guy's not as good as Chris Jones. Meanwhile, if you walk on Sneed, who's got next? Trent McDuffie, who's an all-pro, Joshua Williams, who has shown flashes of being a really good corner in the league. corner, Jalen Watson. Jalen Watson, another good corner in the league. Then then knowing them, they'll probably make another pick. They'll draft somebody in the third through fifth round, and that player will likely end up working out. I don't disagree with you on Jones. Like, I at least want to be clear on that part. I don't disagree with what people are saying about Chris Jones. My argument is... Everything that you were saying about Chris Jones was also true last season, and the Chiefs seem very unwilling to just simply pay him what the market says that he's worth. So at some point, I do think it leads you to believe either the Chiefs don't see him as as valuable as everyone else sees him as, or the Chiefs have made a decision that there is a number that they are not willing to go past with that player, and that number is far off from what the franchise tag number is about to be. If the most they offered him last year is $27.5 million, and they are about to fran- or they have, and they, they now have the choice to franchise tag him at $33 million, they are very, very far apart on what the long term value is for that player. And it's not two for 54. Now, if you want to add on another guaranteed year and you, and you make this a three year guarantee, yeah, you can probably get that done. But I just don't see Kansas City paying what it costs to retain Chris Jones. Didn't they try with every part of their being to get it done last year? And you're right. The results matter. They didn't. They failed. 
But how many times last offseason I could just search Brett Veach's name in our system, and I'm sure at the Combine last year when he was on this show, he talked about, we love Chris, we want to retain Chris. When he was doing his pre-draft interview, which is useless, but that's not here nor there, he talked about, we love Chris Jones. Post-draft, they talked about, you know, Chris Jones, our biggest priority this summer. As free agency, you know, press conference happened, they all talked about, hey, we like Chris Jones. Into the summer, we saw reports, hey, the Chiefs are trying to get a deal done with Chris Jones. Then there are reports that Chris Jones might not come to camp and there's not a deal done. Me and you thought, hey, deadlines make deals, it's going to happen. They negotiated all the way through camp and all the way up until week through week one of the NFL season. They at every turn were trying actively to get him done. In that same time window, was there ever a report, ever anything about them trying to get Snead done? So you're right, the results matter. They never got done with Jones, but they have at every turn tried, and I think that matters. No, I think that matters, but I guess to me their trying would be like if you were selling something, like let's say you have a car, a pretty valuable car, and you're very firm on the price, and I keep messaging you, and we are very far apart. You can be really aggressive in trying to buy the car, but unless you're willing to pay the amount of money that I have the car for, your aggressiveness kind of goes in vain. I'm with you. I think the Chiefs aggressively tried to get Chris Jones to take a hometown discount last year, and I think at every single turn he said, no, I don't want to take a a hometown deal. Now after winning another Super Bowl, having another first-team All-Pro year, and now staring the face of a franchise tag down, if he wasn't willing to take 80% last year, I don't know why we think he's willing to take 80% now after everything when if you did all this to get more money you now have the opportunity to go get all the money you thought you were worth coming up on the other side we'll, we, we will hear from eric hosmer he went on fesco in the morning earlier today to talk about his retirement also the next phase of his baseball career we'll play the best of that conversation next keep it right here it's the drive temp check what kind of summer are we having this year a family road trip summer a beach bum summer or a wake me when the sun sets summer With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into The Drive on 610 Sports Radio, 610sports.com, and the Odyssey app. Appreciate you listening. Earlier today, Eric Hosmer sat down with our guys in the morning show, 
Fesco and Kling, and their conversation started with, how do you know this was the right time to step away? Uh, you know, it, there's it's such a mental and physical drain, mostly mental. Um, you know, 2022, I had a crazy year. I was out in San Diego, uh, got traded right at the deadline in case my wife was, you know, about to pop at any point in time there. Then we moved to Boston, find a place to stay in there. The baby's born. We stay there all off season. Uh, go to California out there with Moose for a little bit to train, go to Arizona for spring, and then Chicago. So it was crazy, man. We were just bouncing around from city to city. And once I got released from the Cubs uh, about end of May, early June, I just told Scott, I was like, man, I need some time to just clear my head and figure out what's going on. And, um, you know, I have a, a, a new son now, Jack, who's about 17, 18 months old, and I've enjoyed my time with him. So, a lot of decisions uh, were hard, but ultimately just came down to me wanting to be with him and spend some more time with him. It kind of told you you were ready, right? Yeah, it definitely did. You know, um, you know, I was always, especially my time in Kansas City, I was the young guy and didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, start or running or raising a family. And I remember watching Gordo in the back of the plane, and we'd be flying home one, two in the morning, and he'd be sleeping because he's going to get ready for school the next morning. So. Now I can definitely appreciate and understand all the stuff he was going through. Eric Hosmer joining us here on 610 Sports Radio. Newly retired. You mentioned uh, working out with Moose. You couldn't outlast Moose, huh? He's back. <laughs> we all knew Moose was a baseball rap, man. You can't get him away from there. you got to tear the jersey <laughs> off of him. So uh, I'll be pulling for him. I, I definitely can't wait to you know, follow him throughout spring training. And even last year, he uh, you know went to Colorado on a non-roster invite hit about 700 in spring, made that team. So I'm excited to see what Moose has in store for us this year. You say rip the jersey off him. You're actually going to be able to do that this year with how bad these jerseys are, aren't you? (laughs) They're different, man. They are certainly different. There's a little see-through in the pants there, which I know the players aren't loving. And then, uh, I don't know, they don't look bad. It's just the the letters on the the name. They're a little small, and maybe that takes away from – the, the big league in the jersey, but I know they'll fix it. I'm sure they'll fix it by opening day. Well, I'm sure they will, too. Eric Hosmer with us here on 610 Sports Radio. All right, so you left Kansas City when you did, took the free agent deal out in San Diego. You went from being a legend and a superstar in Kansas City to just kind of being a dude out in San Diego. How difficult was that transition for you, going from a place where you could do no wrong to a new place where you basically had to try to prove yourself again? Seemed. Yeah. yeah, it was – it was definitely a uh, transition, you know, and, and that's something that's cool about the podcast of what we got going on is, um, you know, we get to dig a little deeper into some of these stories and, and the free agent process and how that all went down. And, you know, during all that time, you know, I definitely wanted to kind of speak my piece and at least have a little little message to the Kansas City fans on what went down. But when you're a player, when you're in the thick of things, you know, it's just kind of it doesn't happen like that. And at the same time, you know, I was fully committed and, and going to San Diego and trying to turn that place around and trying to do what I could uh, just didn't work out that way. You know, they ended up becoming pretty good, having some really competitive teams and spending a lot of money there a couple of years after uh, I first signed there. But two completely different dynamics. You know, I was the young guy, like we talked about, um, you know, couldn't really do wrong in Kansas City. And then I was the guy that was getting paid in San Diego, not really performing the way I should have been or envisioned to be. So, you know, you got to take a lot of heat for that, and I and I certainly understand that. But um, you know, it didn't work out the way I did or the way I wanted, and that's just kind of how it goes sometimes. Do you do you look back at that and go, man, I should have just stayed in Kansas City and been the king here? I mean, like we talked about, Bob, there's a lot of things that we can really dive into, and 
Um, at the end of the day, I had to make a decision that was best for me and my family and that was going to set me and my family up for, for life, you know. And, um, yeah, I, there is times where, man, it, was, it would be nice to, to have one jersey. And, you know, I watched Salvi from afar and, and to see how special that is. But at the end of the day, the, the game's in a different place. And the whole, you know, play with one jersey, your whole career thing isn't, um, you know, when I grew up, it was a, a common thing. And I think now it's not as common. So, you know what, man, it, it's a decision that I really don't regret because at the end of the day, I had to take care of my family. But it was so cool because even when I was with San Diego, there would be Kansas City fans that were in the stands at some of the games and they'd be wearing the Royals shirt, the Royals hat. And we would always kind of make eye contact and give each other a nod. So that bond will never break, and it was always super strong. Yeah, that gives me goosebumps thinking about that. Because when you, when you guys came onto the scene, we were talking about the first day you got called up, and it was Hosmer Mania and how excited everybody was. And then you did something in this town, Eric, that n- nobody had done since George Brett. You won a championship, right? The Chiefs were not doing anything. You guys went oh, out there. I thought you said drink. I thought you said bought, bought, bought drinks and drinks. Fattens, I think that you know? went a long way. <laughs> that yeah. went a long yeah, way, yeah. too. But <laughs> but that came because of the winning. In, like I know I've talked to Dayton about this. Like I, I've asked Dayton. And I'll ask him again when I see him, like, do you realize what you accomplished here in Kansas City? He's like, nah, not really. Like, like what you guys did in 14 and 15, not only did you change sports in this town, you changed this entire community around from a city that went to go, eh, maybe we can, to a city that went, yeah, we can. And it was because of you guys. Like, you guys will always have this profound impact on our city, man. I appreciate that. And, and I will say um, I am certainly team JJ and Sharpie all the way, but Dayton deserves a statue in front of that stadium because he's the one that changed that whole entire culture. He instilled all that from day one with us in the minor leagues to the big leagues that we were going to change this city. We were going to change how the fan base is enjoying baseball. We're going to turn this around and we're going to bring winning baseball to Kansas city. And he never got off that message. I mean, there was like, we all know during a baseball season, there's a lot of ups, there's a lot of downs. And even throughout the downs, he never came off that message. So he really had us buying into it. And, um, you know, Dayton is, is my biggest mentor in baseball. I've been talking to him, you know, weekly about the decision coming up just because I I really do embrace his, uh, his mentorship on me so much. And he's a guy that really changed everything there in Kansas City. And, um, you know, I know the fans appreciate him, but, man, he's, he was the one that made it all happen. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, he was fantastic in, in, in turning this thing around. And as Bob mentioned, you guys kind of jump-started, the, I, I think, the winning, the city, the, the feel-good. You, you pushed the Chiefs as well. I know you're, you're tight with, with Travis, and you've known Patrick, and uh, Andy Reid has discussed like the Royals kind of kick-starting what they did across the parking lot. Now that you see where they're at, um, what are your eyes from afar as to what your buddies in the Chiefs have accomplished? Oh, man, they, I mean, it's amazing how long they've sustained this run. I mean, they've been, what is it, 2016 or 17, whenever they first started winning, all the way up until now. Um, but it, it, it's just so cool to see it all from the beginning and, and how it all happened. You know, I remember Trav brought uh, Mahomes to a game one time, and it was like, man, this is a young rookie they just drafted. And I remember Trav telling us all he's going to be the real deal. And, I mean, he's going to be – Mahomes is going to be like Michael Jordan to my son. So it's it's unreal how I got to see all the behind-the-scenes type stuff and how that all grew. And, you know, Trav's a guy that, um, you know, through all this success, through all the fame, he hasn't changed at all. And, you know, I really do love that guy, and I'm so happy for him. 
and everything that he's accomplished. Talk with Eric Hosmer here on 610 Sports Radio. When are we going to see you back in Kansas City? Because, it, I mean, we're talking, Eric, and I hate to say this, this is a 10-year anniversary of that first World Series performance. Yeah, that's coming up. And then um, I don't know if I'm ruining any plans or anything, but next year or this coming year we're having a reunion for the 14 team, which is going to be awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I know they want to do some events. And then someone said something about, them throwing a party over at McFadden's. I've never heard of that place, so I'm excited. That'd to be awesome. See what that's all about. <laughs> That'd be great. So you're going to do that this summer, the 14 team, and then you're going to have to come back next year and do another one for the 15 team, right? Yes, but we're putting it on Bobby Witt's tab. He's got paid. He's got big money over there, so we're going to shoot that over to him. I think that's a good idea. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so so you've got that going on with, with the with the 14 team. When you when you celebrate 15, will Johnny Gomes be part of the deal? Absolutely will, man. Everyone that was in that building is going to be part of it. And Johnny's a guy I actually talked to quite a bit still. And, man, he was he was a huge part of that team. And that's uh, those are the stuff that really I'm excited to, to kind of share with people is there's certain people that are in a locker room. And, you know, certain fan bases do get it. I do think Kansas City understands, especially like a guy like Dyson and how much he meant to our clubhouse and how he basically ran our clubhouse inside of it. And when when Johnny came over, just seeing how locked in he was, locked in he was on a day to day basis, the little tips he was getting, he was calling people throughout the league to see if they had any information on guys we were playing in the playoffs. So he'll definitely be a big part of it, man. Johnny Gomes is he seems like a character on the outside, but that dude is all about winning, man. And he is a he was a big part of it. Speaking of uh, of characters, Ned has kind of taken on the life of a new character here on the show. Anytime we need something like done or think something needs to be done, we're like, oh, Ned could handle that. Like like we're uh, changing a tire, <laughs> like I don't know whatever it is, you know, wh- whatever it is. Like Ned could do that kind of stuff. Looking back on your career now and and having him as your manager, like what was it like every day going in there with Ned, knowing that this guy could do anything? You like we made the joke that like ned didn't know covid was going on that's how secluded he was at the farm <laughs> that is ned is awesome man and i tell you what the, each year that i was away from ned and the royals and all that i appreciated him that much more because like you guys said he makes it seem like he doesn't know what's going on but he knows exactly what's going on he knows the heartbeat of the team he can see when a guy's a little down certain days and he's going to connect with that guy to lift him up and you know there were so many uh growth moments and growing pains that I went through personally with Ned. We all went through with Ned, but he was just so consistent with us. And, um, you know, he deserves to be, to be praised like how he is in Kansas city. And, you know, I got to see a lot of the stuff last year of him getting into the Royals hall of fame and them doing the ceremony on the field, as well as Locaine. And just super happy for him. He deserves all that and more. And, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing that at these reunions coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun. Eric, we appreciate the time. Let's do this more often. You got some time. Anytime you want to come on and, and, and talk. And Not 162. Anything like that. Uh, we wouldn't want you to I'm retire trying after to, day trying to get one you or some anything. retirement. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's do it, man. I'll I'll hit you up in in a couple of days. We'll figure something out, and and I'll tell Gene Watson and Chris Getz that you're willing to go work for them right now because you got people all over the place in Major League Baseball. You can join a front office. (laughs) We'll definitely do that, man. Yeah, we'll definitely catch up. Bob found a way to get my number from someone. I've been hiding for him for all these years, but we'll definitely definitely catch up, and uh, I'm excited to follow along and 
you know, the Royals have been making some big moves, so I really do hope they have a good year, and I'm excited to watch. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. That was Eric Hosmer on Fesco in the morning earlier today. I wanted to play the best of that conversation just for you guys to get a chance to hear Eric Hosmer as he is retired and he is moving to the next phase of his baseball career. Let's step aside. I thought he said something really interesting, and I don't think you will get many players to admit it publicly, but I think Eric kind of did there in that interview. I'll tell you what it is. Keep it right here. So drive. The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Your home for Chiefs football in Kansas City is 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Let's talk about this Eric Hosmer interview, and there was one quote that he said that really stood out to me. Fesco asked him a pretty direct question. Hey, do you regret signing with the Padres? You signed for a lot of money with the Padres, but it was never the same as playing with the Royals. And Hosmer kind of politician answered it, but I thought he kind of gave us a little bit of a glimpse into his thought process. Here's what he said. But at the end of the day, the, the game's in a different place, and the whole you know play with one jersey your whole career thing isn't um, you know when I grew up it was a, a common thing, and I think now it's not as common. So you know what, man, it, it's a decision that I really don't regret because at the end of the day I had to take care of my family. But it was so cool because even when I was with San Diego, there would be Kansas City fans that were in stands at some of the games, and they'd be wearing the Royals shirt, the Royals hat. And we would always kind of make eye contact and give each other a nod. So that bond will never break, and it was always super strong. Now, I do want to be clear about this first part. I don't like when athletes say this very cliche thing of, I had to make the best decision for my family. John Heyman is very, very connected to the Royals. I went back. The Royals offered Eric Hosmer a five-year, $100 million fully guaranteed deal. I'm pretty certain that Eric Hosmer was going to be able to take care of his family with $100 million guaranteed. Now, that is not what the Padres offered, and they offered significantly more than the Kansas City Royals. He eventually signed with them an eight-year, $144 million deal. Now, I'm not here telling you that I would have given up the extra three years and $40 million extra money to go play for uh, San Diego, but he was then faced with a choice. Your family was going to be good on either side, whether you take the $100 million or you take the $144 million and the California taxes. You don't need to work. Your little ones don't need to work. Your wife doesn't need to work. And when you're done playing, it will allow you the freedom to do now exactly what you want to do in the next phase of your life. Congratulations to you. That is what your hard work got you. But I think he gives you a little bit of a glimpse there at the end. Padres fans will never love you the way the Royals fans did. 
And the way that Royals fans love you would have been a very unconditional kind of love. Now, they still feel that way about you, and he just mentioned it. This year, they're going to celebrate the 10-year anniversary, and I expect Kauffman Stadium to be mostly full whenever they decide to do that, the same way that it was for Lorenzo Cain. They're going to make an announcement, and it's going to be a nice day in the summer, and it's going to be retro 2014. They're going to have some cool giveaway, and it's going to be fun to go to Kauffman Stadium that day. But that bond that he is talking about, you will never be able to get that back. And I do wonder, as we are, we are fully in the free agency. We are fully into player empowerment and player movement and do what you want to do, and I think it's great. I do wonder if there are more players like Eric Hosmer that you had a chance to be rich in both and you went chasing the money and you also went chasing a chance to win a World Series. You remember that's when the Padres were buying up everything. You thought that it was going to go one way and it didn't go that way. And sure, you've got a lot of money. You were happy, but you also would have had a lot of money if you had made the other decision. I get it that not a lot of players stay in one place. But I think you very rarely hear a player that stays in one place that is unhappy with their decision, especially when you've already had success. Look at Salvador Perez. Salvador Perez has had a chance to leave Kansas City at least three separate times. And at any point that he goes to J.J. Piccolo and says, I'm ready to be traded and go to another team, I think the Royals would facilitate that trade. It's just something about playing in that organization and having that bond that you have with the fan base that I'm not really sure if that money can cover. That money can buy you a lot of things, just like the hundred million can. I don't know if it can bond. Uh, I don't know if it can buy you a community, and you were never going to have that community in San Diego the way that you built it in Kansas City. It was just never going to happen. I agree with you. I understand that he he told the truth there. Hey, I he didn't say it this way. He chose the money over the legacy. But Carrington, maybe I'm playing the results and I'm using revisionist history. But let's say he had signed that deal with the Royals and the Royals continue to be what they were the last four years. Do you think he gets that same love and admiration on 10-year reunion day? Do you think if he was retiring today after a long-term contract with the Royals and he was, let's be honest, after the Royals, not a great baseball player. He was average to below average at times while handcuffing their payroll and losing always out of the K, do you think he still has that love and admiration of the t- of the fan base? I understand why he chose the money, but I'm betting it wasn't just a money play. I think legacy was at play for him too, and I think he and his agent, Scott Boris, by the way, understood to a level that if you're going to stay in Kansas City, you got to keep the good times rolling, and if the good times aren't rolling, being an expensive player on a terrible team is never a popular position. No, you're right, but I would also say he then went to be a very expensive player on an underperforming team in San Diego, too, that that might be even worse. That's a fan base that has never won a World Series. They view you as part of, hey, everything that you did in Kansas City, we want you to come here and we want you to do that for us. And the moment it didn't happen, you don't have that equity built up with that fan base the way that you have it in Kansas City. For the most part, Royals fans were really, really patient with Alex Gordon. And it took Alex Gordon becoming one of the worst everyday players in baseball for them to be like, hold on, man. Hey, this contract is pretty bad. I think Kansas City is a pretty forgiving place, especially if you've done something. Hell, you guys love Frank Clark, who was terrible in the regular season for the time that he was here. MVS, MVS was bad all of this season. 
MVS will come back and we'll get a standing ovation in Kansas City. If you are a part of something special, there is a measure of forgiveness that you are always going to be given. Eric Hosmer was always going to give it. He was the face of some of your favorite teams that you've had. He was the most popular player we think on that team. He was always going to be given some of that grace. And I do think that, hey, you're 28, there's a pressure, there's an expectation. You remember, whenever the Padres made that deal, there was a, hey, Hosmer's going to take that next leap. And he just never took that next leap with the San Diego Padres. He wasn't really that much different with the Padres than he was for most of his Royals career here. But again, you were a part of something in Kansas City. You had Moose, you had Haj, you had Kane, you had Sal, you had all of these guys. Maybe if he stays, his career goes in a slightly different path because you're in a place in which you feel very comfortable to work through those things where once you sign that deal and you go from the hometown hero, hometown kid that you were viewed homegrown in Kansas City, and now you're the eight years, $144 million player, you can't start slow the way that Hosmer used to early on in the season, and fans are now calling and getting on you about it. There is just a measure of protection you're going to get if you choose to stay. Yeah, but I think that protection would have worn away. That's fair. And because this is our top text right now on the text line. I like Alex Gordon, but his four-year, $72 million contract sucked. Hosmer would have been fine if he performed better and they'd won. But we now know the results of what Hosmer happened when he left. He was silver slugger in 2016, his final year in Kansas City. From then on, he was underachieving at every moment in his career. To a point, the Padres dumped him. They took a salary dump move just to get rid of him. Then the Red Sox did the exact same thing, and that's how Hosmer's career ended. I think the way Royals fans view Alex Gordon is the way they would have viewed Eric Hosmer. You're right. It would have taken more time to erode away because he had those protections. But Alex Gordon had all those same protections. Homegrown guy came through some adversity, moved from third base to left field, became one of the best defenders, had the iconic moment in the World Series. He had all the protections in the world. And when he walked off the field, Carrington, and we had a show celebrating his Royals career, there were texts in the text line. Why are you talking to this guy? He had a 250-something average. He stinks, doesn't deserve a statue, all this. Hosmer would have had the same thing happen in Kansas City because eventually it happens to everyone. The stench of losing washes away the glorious smell of winning in town. No, you're right, but I do think, and I, I think some of that is just sports fans in general. Like, KU fans love Dewan Harris. If they lose in the first round and Dewan Harris plays bad, it will not go very well for Dewan Harris at KU. I think you and I both know that. I also think, though, that for the Royals, as we like keep with the Kansas analogy, like with the football team, I don't think that Royals fans after that run really had great expectations. That if Hosmer was on the team and these teams won 77 games and they were mostly competitive. Like, I think people are frustrated with the Royals is they just completely fell off a cliff. It's almost like 2014 and 15 didn't happen. Like, it was like a dream. Like, they have been bad for most of our lives. One day you wake up and they're the best team in baseball, and then you snap out of it, and it's the same Royals that we saw for most of our childhood. That maybe if Eric Hosmer decides to stay, and you've got Haas, you've got Gordon, you've got Salvador Perez, and you have a solid nucleus together, maybe the Royals win 77, 78 games, and they're just competitive. They're not a playoff team anymore, but they're certainly not embarrassing. I think the hard pivot from... The Royals went from a championship team to a good team that you would go out to the ballpark to, again, almost instantly they went back to being a team that, what are we doing? What are, why are we watching this? 
I think that got the Royals as much as anything. I agree. If they had been a 70 to 77 win team yearly, if Hosmer is here in this hypothetical, I don't think the good times would have washed away, but I'm also not certain that they ever would have done that with just Hosmer. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe Dayton Moore's master plan. Hosmer was the linchpin. And if he stayed, it was, Hey, we're going to try to be competitive because we have Eric Hosmer on the team. But man, when Eric Hosmer left, it was a cavalcade of terrible baseball because they had terrible baseball players. It was Lucas Duda and Chris Owings and, you know, countless others who I forget. They were Billy Hamilton. It was just it was bad. quadruple A players fielded every night with no prospects in the pipeline, nothing coming up. And there was outside of you like the hot dog derby and it's a nice night at the ballpark. There was a never a reason to go. So if you replace Lucas Duda with Eric Hosmer and he's, you know, playing pitch and catch it first base between second base with Chris Owings and he's batting third, but Billy Hamilton, the leadoff guy couldn't get on. So, all right, now it's a problem. And it, and then whoever was in right field at this time, some nobody schmuck couldn't get on at second. Hosmer is going to be relegated to doing nothing in the three hole. And Royals fans would have been like, hey, that's great. I don't think so. I also don't think the lineup around him would have won that 70 games you're talking about. Coming up on the other side, we'll talk a little college football is, you know what? The news continues to come in about NCAA, and I'm so excited about the game. We know what the name, image, and likeness deal is, and they are trying to ruin the college football playoff before they ever start the college football playoff. We'll talk about it. Keep it right here. It's The Drive. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Remember to follow the show on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Kansas City, it's George Carlotis, and you're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. All right, a couple of college football news and notes. Coming up in about 30 minutes or so, our guy Mitchell Schwartz is going to join us in studio. Rob has set up a sort of grocery list checklist of food items from Quick Trip. Mitchell Schwartz and I are going to try them on the air and give our opinion. I'm guessing, like myself, Mitch has not had many of these things. Rob, have you had all the things that we're going to try? Because you... You gave someone a list of four things for us to try. It was like a brisket, tacos, some mac and cheese. It, it was a lot of nonsense that was on there, in my opinion. Yes, I have. Have you tried all of these things? I have tried all these things. Now, I will put the caveat out there. When we were getting the food, plain Jane, straightforward. You could have order, ordered whatever. I didn't have any say in this. For example... When I get the brisket tacos at Quick I would have loved to have tried the buffalo chicken mac and cheese. When I get the brisket tacos at Quick Trip, which I love, I usually zhuzh it up with a little queso or like that nacho cheese, some salsa, and some jalapenos. But you know what? It's just the pure taco today. That's, that's just how I play it. But you know what? I'm playing it straight down the middle, as neutral as possible. I'm not going to give you my preference. I'm going to let you guys just eat it. Same way, it's just a plain mac and cheese or a plain grilled cheese. I didn't even ask for the chipotle sauce that I usually dip my grilled cheese in. That's not how I'm playing okay, it today. So I just, okay, so I at least want to be clear here. If I don't like the regular mac and cheese and the text line is like, oh, you should have tried this, 
I want to keep my hands clear of this. I didn't have anything to do with it. I did not place the order. I have only eaten breakfast sandwiches from there. I've never had a taco. I've never had any of this. If it doesn't come off the roller or the breakfast sandwich, and I don't even order the breakfast sandwich. You know how they have it at Quick Trip. You go over there, it's already ready-made. You just grab one of them. I grab myself a strawberry milk, and I check out. It's around 6 bucks, and I got myself a, a great quick breakfast. So if people are unhappy with what we ordered, Please direct all of those comments to Rob. Please do not direct them towards me. I don't have anything to do with it. You are more than welcome to take a little brisket out of the brisket taco and put in the mac and cheese okay. to get a little oh, flavor to, to really it. switch it up. Or there's chicken and bacon on the flatbread. You can put a little of that in the mac and cheese okay. because those options are available. So you you might have to do a little finessing in there to get all the flavor profiles, but it's available to you. Okay. All right. I'm excited to do this. Uh, coming up in just a little bit at the top of the hour, we are going to do a quick trip taste test they did not give us this food i would like to be clear we bought so this is i'm gonna give you my real honest opinion about quick trip if i paid for it oh i'm gonna tell you what i think from quick trip we'll do that coming up in a little bit so if you guys have heard if you play video games ncaa 2025 or 2024 i don't know what they're calling this year's game but it is coming back it is going to be out this july and let me tell you oh i am excited about it it was one of my favorite games to play as a kid it went away for a bunch of different reasons but you know what it's coming back well so if you used to play the game you remember they couldn't use the actual name image and likeness of the players so if you were playing with usc you know it was just rb5 but you knew rb5 was reggie bush you know, if it was Florida, it was just QB 15. It wasn't really Tim Tebow on the game. You guys get what I'm trying to say. So now, because you can actually use the name, image, and likeness of players, they can opt in. So they have a system. It's called Compass NIL. There's an app. You can go on there. You can opt into the game. And if you opt into them using your likeness, they will give you $600 plus a copy of the game. Now, I am guessing that a majority of players are going to sign up to do this because why would you not want to see yourself in a video game? It's been such a long time since they've made this. You are going to be really excited. People are going to ask you about it. So, of course, you will be there. Now, I'm guessing there are going to be some players that don't want just $600. EA has said that they're willing to make some of those players sort of influencers and give them more money. So I'm going to guess Travis Hunter. I don't think the $600 is a big motivating factor for you. Have you seen where Travis Hunter lives? Have you seen the engagement ring that he just got his fiance? I'm guessing the $600 is just chump change to Travis Hunter. So their, their plan is to make him an influencer and pay him more to kind of post some ads and tell you to, hey, go buy the game and to promote the game. I think this is going to work, Rob. Now, I don't think $600 is going to work forever. Not when we see how much money the game generates because we are anticipating that it's going to generate a lot of money. But I'm guessing that the $600 in a copy of the game is going to work for 98% of college athletes. And there's going to be a couple that they're going to have to do a little bit of finessing for to get. I don't know if there's that many players that you're going to have to really convince. There's probably 20 college football players that maybe have a little bit of leverage and a little bit of juice. You got like Quinn Ewers is going to be one of those players, Shadour Sanders, Travis Hunter. There's going to be about 20 of them heading into next season that you really, really want to be in the game, and those might be the players. But if you are the backup running back at Purdue, you need to take this $600, this free copy of the game on PS5, and you need to be happy with it.
I actually was, when I saw this news, I was, I was happy. I felt like this was a fair and equitable deal for everyone. A, maybe it's just me, but you can always have downloaded rosters off the internet. With Xbox Live, I could find that user BuckeyeFan0374 went through, did the work, edited all the players, and made all the names already exist. So I could have been playing with Reggie Bush as opposed to HB number five. So I, and Reggie Bush saw nothing. Well, Reggie Bush saw something for it, but that was a different conversation. I think this is a fair number. Every year in college football, there's what, 5 to 12, 15 guys preseason that we think are the stars of the sport. You make those 5 to 12 guys, influencers, ambassadors, whatever may have you, you let those guys, those are the 12 guys that are maybe competing. You have like a bracket of sorts to be on the cover because you can now put active players on the cover. And everyone else will take that $600, a free copy of the game, and be happy. It's a nice baseline for everyone. You're it's right. Also, I mean, it's, it's also cool to just see yourself mm-hmm. on the game. You know what I mean? It's also cool to... You know, there's going to be different things that you're going to be able to do. And I mean, I know that you could kind of edit in the players, but it's going to be different now that the players have involvement in the game and they're part of the process. That's going to be really cool. And they were wrongly using the image of players before and they were making money off the game. So I'm happy that the pot is going to be divvied up a little bit. I'm just going to guess that they're going to see that the $600 is probably not enough money that they got for being in the first one. And they're going to have to probably up it as we continue to go and have a scale because you're going to have a Arch Manning that if he turns out to be the player that many people do, hey, this $600 that you were compensating me is not close to what my name, image, and likeness is for me to be included in you guys' project. So either I'm not going to be a part of it, or I need you guys to come up off that bag, and I need you to incorporate me in your commercials if you really want me to do this. I'm actually curious if that will ever happen. Because, listen, NFL players are part of a union, so it's different. It's not the same. But what do NFL players always talk about with Madden? They like playing with themselves. They like the opportunity to potentially be on the cover. Like, NFL players are making good paychecks, but not every single one of them. Practice squad Tyler Gillespie got signed today by the Chiefs. He's in the Madden game. Do you think he's getting a great paycheck for Madden? Probably not. But I bet if you asked him, he likes being in the game and has a chance to build up his stats, all those things. I wonder if you have to really, really, really incentivize it for a guy like Shador Sanders. Or is, hey, you're in a video game now, and it says Shador Sanders, and you're a 94. Is that enough to satiate them plus the 600 and potential ambassadorship? Like, I don't know the number will have – it will raise with inflation, but I don't know if you're ever going to see, hey, we got holdouts because they want insane money. I think the 600 or the inflation cost is a very good baseline. I looked it up because I was curious this morning, and the average – I guess the, the average price of what a player gets to be in Madden is around $28,000 per NFL player to be in the game, which is significantly more than 600 but there's also – a lot less of them too to be in the game. If you're talking about you got to get 80 something kids for 140, I think it's 146 schools that have signed up to be in this game. You got to pay every single one of them. Yeah, the NFL is different. It was a bad example by me. No, no, I'll just give you the number. Yeah. I, I, I looked it up today. The average play, the average NFL player on Madden gets around twenty eight thousand dollars for their inclusion in the game. That 
I'm assuming if you're Patrick Mahomes, the $30,000 that I'm getting for being in the game is just not that big of a deal. But why would I not sign up to be a Madden? I've been on the cover of it twice. Like, you can opt out. Like, we've seen that before. Remember, we were growing up, Michael Jordan opted out of it. Barry Bonds wasn't on a lot of the baseball games growing up. You can opt out of it. Just most people just choose to actually be included. The next thing that I want to talk to you guys about when it comes to college football is, so you guys know that they are expanding the college football playoff. Now, Missouri is going to be in that expanded playoff next year. Not sure about K-State or KU, but I feel very confident that one of the 12 spaces for next season is going to the University of Missouri as Brady Brady Cook or Luther Burden. Not sure. You can pick which one. One of them will be a Heisman finalist this year, and they're going to carry Missouri to. They're probably going to be six. So they're going to host a home playoff game against Notre Dame next year. Missouri, Notre Dame in early December at Faroe Field. Rob, that sounds like a time. Now, don't you need an AD to do some backroom deals to get this done? Because Kirk No, they're going to earn it on the, on the field. They're going to earn it on the field when they run through the SEC. They might actually be the one seed, honestly. They might not even play in the first round of the playoff because they win the SEC and they're one of the five best teams in college football next year. But that's not what I was trying to tell you guys. So you know that the playoff has been at four teams, and they are expanding to 12. Well, yesterday they had a meeting so they could get to 14. They are already having conversations about expanding the college football playoff. Why do we trust these people to run college athletics? These are the same people that came up with the, with the system where four teams make the playoffs Yet there were five power conferences, and shocking, this became a problem. And they one day looked up and said, oh, wait, we didn't guarantee ourselves a place at the table, and now we have to go from four to 12 teams. Now they're already arguing that that's not enough, and they're having, quote, productive meetings about expanding the college football playoff. But this is the part that gets me. And, Rob, I know you and I are on different sides of this argument. This quote that I'm going to read from you is from the Big Ten commissioner. Quote, we want fans to think that you know a game in the second week of November, even if you've already lost two or three games, still has a lot of value. That's the goal. Can we be honest about what the playoff expansion is? In the current system, there were only three bowl games that mattered, and they hated that. The Rose Bowl that they have worked so hard to protect, kids were opting out of the Rose Bowl. They were opting out of the Cotton Bowl. We don't want to play in these games anymore. We don't see them as valuable. So they had to think of a way to repackage it. So what do they do? They just made more bowl games matter again, and now they rope it into the playoffs. They will not stop until they get to 16. Now, I think the 16 is probably going to be the number, but who knows at this point? Their greed knows no bound. We're going to wake up one day, and there's going to be a college football playoff with 32 teams involved. We do not need 14 teams in the college football playoff. We don't. There are not 14 teams in college football that can win the national championship, that can navigate that tournament and actually win the entire thing. This is a money grab. This is a repackaging and a repurpose of the bowls. I do not want three lost teams to have a chance to win the national championship. That is not the college football that I want to watch. I don't disagree. But, Carrington, we saw it post-COVID. We saw it with the NFL. What was the first thing the NFL did post-COVID? They expanded their playoffs. And now, suddenly, 
the rum-dums of the world are getting into the playoffs. Remember that first year the Mitchell Trubisky Bears made it and they went to play New Orleans? They had no shot, no chance. They were going to get smoked, and guess what? They got smoked. We've seen bad Steeler team make the playoffs, and then they go lose to the Bills. The NFL chased the money, and not this show, but the general sentiment in the world was, hey, it's more football. We love more football. It's games that matter. Sign me up. You know what college football power brokers did? They saw that formula, and they went, we should be doing that. If the NFL is expanding and they're lining their pockets with money and people are watching it like you wouldn't believe, why are we limiting ourselves? So, yes, TCU one year as a 15 seed may get in and just get walloped by Georgia. But you know what? It's going to get a lot of eyeballs and a lot of money. So because the NFL did it, everyone's going to do it. They already had a system that worked. They already had a system. They had a they had a. 14-team playoff this year. Correct me if I'm wrong. We saw Alabama and Georgia play each other at a neutral site, right? And the winner advanced, and the loser didn't. Now, that sounds like a playoff to me. Ohio State and Michigan played a game at the end of the season. The winner advanced to the playoff. The loser did not. That is a playoff game. I would argue that we've already had an expanded version of the playoffs. So now we need an expanded, expanded version. What's the purpose of the SEC championship game now moving forward? It's to ensure that you get a home game or that you get a bye. That's as interesting as what we had. Isn't it the same as the Big 12 tournament for basketball? You're just playing for seeding at that point? Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong. Listen, in about what? Three weeks? No, that's great. It's going to be the we, crown jewel of our city in yeah, March. I, I mean... I mean, it I has think we, no real bounds. Yeah, we, we also just know, I mean, we know that those conference tournaments are money grabs. We know they're money grabs. I mean, if that's what we're, I mean, that's okay. But I would say, like, no one considers the college basketball regular season to be special. I think that college football's regular season is the best regular season that we have. It's better than the NFL regular season. Every game, like, I know we like to spin every game in the NFL has importance. It doesn't. I'm sorry. It, it doesn't have importance. Every game in college football really has importance. Week one of the season, when LSU and Michigan play each other, if you lose, it has a very negative effect on your ability to win the national championship. And that's part of what's making it fun. You can now lose this new system. You can lose almost every important college football. Remember the games used to be really big. Hey, you play LSU, you play Texas, you play Alabama. You can lose two of those three games and still have an opportunity to compete for the the national championship. And I see people making examples about pro sports. All of these college football teams are not on the same playing field. So I understand in the NFL how it works because every team can spend a certain amount of money and you can't spend more than a certain amount of money. That's not what college football is. And I think we are creating this, oh, it's going to be equal. Everybody's going to have a chance. No, they're still not going to have a chance. Michigan's still going to win this tournament. Georgia's still going to win this tournament. Alabama is still going to win this tournament. And all they've really done is they have just repackaged the Sun Bowl and they're selling it to you as part of the playoff. That's what they're doing. For the commissioner to come out and say, hey, we want you to still really be interested in a game where a team has three losses – We have never done that in college football. You lose three losses, you still get to go to a good bowl game. You go to the Holiday Bowl. 
You go to the Holiday Bowl, you get a free PlayStation 5 and a Chipotle gift card, and we thank you for what you've done. You now still have a chance to compete for the national championship? That's not what I want college football to be. Not at all. Coming up on the other side, we'll be joined in studio by a guy, Mitchell Shorts. We have made a food run to Quick Trip. Yesterday on this show, I said that I have only gotten food off the rollers and breakfast sandwich, and you guys were very critical. And you said, hey, how can you hate on it? How can you knock it if you haven't tried it? I'm going to try the food from Quick Trip, and we'll see if it's good. That's coming up. Keep it right here, so drive. All right, I'm very excited about this. Mitchell Schwartz is here. We have him here because there is no person that knows and understands food that I personally know better than Mitchell Schwartz. He is a trained chef. He is cooked in other countries. He has a YouTube channel, Mitch in the Kitch. So this is how this started, Mitchell Schwartz, and this is how I told Rob to reach out to you. Yesterday, I was critical of Quick Trip, and I love Quick Trip. I at least want to be clear, but if I go to Quick Trip, I'm usually getting the food off the rollers, like I'm getting a taquito or I'm getting the buffalo chicken roller or something like that. Or I get the breakfast sandwich. You know, over on the right-hand side, when you get your gas, you can just grab you a, a little breakfast biscuit, grab you a drink, and go on about your day. I didn't know that people actually ordered food from there, and that was a little surprising to me. Rob swears by this food. The text line also swears by this food. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to give you $30. I want you to place the orders of the food that you think we should get, and let's ask Mitchell Schwartz if he wants to come in and try it with us. So that's how you have been roped into our let's try food from Quick Trip. Yeah, there's no roping in. You offer free food, and I'm excited to try it. I love Quick Trip. I mean, that's the gas station I typically go to. I haven't had any of the hot food. I tend to stick with chips and candy and that's what donuts I and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, this will be a first for me, too. All right, Rob, what would you like for us to try first? So, first off, what do we have here? Because I think we have four separate things. I know I'm owed some money back. You're telling me these four things cost $30? The four things I was sent I sent out to get are the mac and cheese, I got a brisket taco, I got a grilled cheese, and a chicken bacon ranch flatbread. Does that look like the four items in front of you? That does look like what we have in front of us. What would you like for us to try first? Okay. I, I'll tell this to Mitch because I told you earlier in the show. My caveat was I like when I go order this and then hit the condiment bar, kind of zhuzh it up a bit. I'm not doing that. This is the neutral. This is the baseline. This is what... And if you like it, you can go to Quick Trip and condiment it up the way you like. Let's start with, I like the brisket taco the best. Let's start with the brisket taco. Okay. All right. We're trying the brisket taco. How much is one brisket taco at Quick Trip? I honestly do not know off the top of my head. It's not a thing I have committed to memory. But it's something that you like. So you mm-hmm. have ordered the brisket taco before. I have ordered the brisket taco before. All right. Let me try it. I would say before digging in, the thing that stuck out to me, so it's a soft flour tortilla. It's pretty large. It's larger than, like, the little small tacos. It's it's a pretty girthy size for a, a city that likes their food, so I'll give them credit for that. I will say, when I eat it, again, the judge it up thing, I add a little bit of jalapeno, some salsa. If they have the nacho cheese available, I put a little of that in there. But you guys just eating the plain Jane brisket taco with, as Mitch said, the flour tortilla. Mitch, you want to go first? Sure, I mean, it tastes good. I wouldn't say this is going to win any awards at American Royal. The texture looks way more like pulled pork than it does brisket. So I think they're, whatever they're doing, getting some smoke on it, my guess is they're probably 
you know, braising it or, or doing something to get it super tender and kind of shreddy, um, more so than I think we would associate with traditional barbecue, but opening it up, there's cheese, a fair amount of cheese, and there's some seasoning, maybe some rub that they sprinkled on after the fact. It's a brisket taco, but um, as you said, in a town of barbecue, I'm not sure that you'd go out of your way to get this per se. You know what? I'm pleasantly surprised. I actually think this was okay. It was not great by any means. Like, I've certainly had better brisket, and it was maybe a little sweeter than I thought. Like, I thought the rub was kind of sweet on this. But you know what? I I might have to start this off by apologizing to Quick Trip. <laughs> I can't see how if you condiment this thing up, you put a little sauce on it, you put some other things. I could see myself eating two or three of these things. I would probably give this, this was a solid 7.5 out of 10. A 7.5 out of 10. I'm at least starting this off with I might have to take back a lot of the things that I've said about Quick Trip Eats. That was a that was a decent taco. I would agree that it's a decent taco. I enjoyed eating it. I would say it's hard for me to not compare it to the barbecue that's in town. And so I kind of hold brisket as the highest standard of barbecue in terms of how you cook beef and all those things. And Kansas City's known for its burn ends. So a lot of the places that serve burn ends or that have burn end tacos this flavor profile is good. It's it's hard to beat, like shreddy, tender beef with some seasoning and some cheese on a tortilla. Um, but it's not in the upper echelon. No, I wouldn't say that it's there. I would say that I didn't really consider it to be brisket either. I tasted way more pulled pork, as you said. It tasted much more like a pulled pork taco than a brisket taco. But you know what? I, I'm going to give the brisket taco a seven and a half. I was uh, I was very pleasant. I went into it thinking it was going to be terrible. That taco was not terrible. I would eat more of those. All right, Rob. That's I think where it's we important. The brisket taco, seven and a half. Mitch, what are you giving it? Out of ten, six and a half. All I right, think it's it's better than average, and it's something I would eat again. Uh, I don't know that I'd go out of my way to grab it. No, I don't think I'm, I don't think this is now going to be on my order. But till I. A good indicator of how I thought about it. I did finish it, so my, my no, half I, is I finished. I definitely plan on finishing it. No, I definitely plan on finishing it. Is that the barometer we're using? Did it get finished? Someone wants to know this. what the brisket taco retails for. How much is the brisket taco? I'll do that, Google. that might affect if I ever get another one of these. I would say I don't know offhand. I Googled it earlier, and it just said you have to order through the app. I don't have the app. I would say it's probably comparable pricing to a Taco Bell or a you know taco fast food establishment. I don't think it's going to hit you over for like a $16 taco or anything like that. I would say without full knowledge, it's I usually do this as a, in lieu of a fast food type of move. Okay. All right. I was just curious to know. Uh, download the Quick Trip app, and let's see if we can actually get some prices on these things. I'd be very curious to know how much that costs. How much do you think that is? I think that's probably a 329 taco. That's what I'm going to guess. Yeah, I'd go in the 259 to 299 range. Okay. Rob, it, is, it is good size. I mean, like I said, it's not – the small ones, it's, I'd say, like the medium-sized tortilla. All right, Rob, what do you want us to try next? We have tried the brisket taco. This was the one that you guys were most adamant on because, I mean, it's still it's still a little wild to me that you drive past Jack Stack and you go get the brisket taco from Quick Trip. I still maintain that opinion, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. All right, Rob, what's next on this Quick Trip food journey? You know what? It's not my favorite item, Plain Jane, so let's knock it out the way because I'm curious your guys' thoughts on it. Let's go with the mac and cheese. Okay. I like the mac and cheese with a little brisket on it. A lot of people like it with a little buffalo chicken. But as I mentioned earlier, you try to do a little plain Jane down the middle. By the way, the brisket taco retails for $4.99. Mm. 
Hmm. I'm not spending five dollars on no brisket. No, I'm okay. So this mac and cheese that I'm looking at, it looks good. It's in a little uh, black container. It's got a nice layer of extra cheese on top that's melted in. It looks really creamy underneath. Are you? You're just getting side brisket at a gas station? So you can get that topped with br- mm. their brisket, their pulled pork, or buffalo chicken. And, I got this plain Jane for the sake of neutrality. And when you do the brisket, is it texture-wise similar to that taco I that it's, it's the, more of a shreddy? I imagine it's the same brisket, yes. Okay. Well, let me dig in here real quick. All right, right now Mitch is trying it. We only have one plate. Rob only got us one plate here. I think that's an Odyssey issue, but <laughs> no, it's your fault. Bankruptcy. Now we don't have any. <laughs> we don't have any utensils anymore. We have no utensils. No, no, here I'm all. blaming Carrington. He put a thirty dollars budget on it. <laughs> no, I'm not supposed to re- supply the plates. <laughs> all right, let me try a little bit of this mac and cheese. So I went for I went for the bite where you get a little bit of that cheese topping because I do love that in mac and cheese. All right, I'm gonna try to save you some more cheese here. Oh, let me cut a little bit. You can you can take what you want. You need the calories more than I do. <laughs> okay. All and, right. Uh, <laughs> so I got I got the cheese topping. I got a little bit of the creaminess, and I'm gonna. It does uh, look very creamy. That it does. I'm gonna let you take a bite or two, and then we're gonna compare notes. All right. All right. Hold on. Rob, I'm I'm surprised. I might be giving it away a little bit, but. I feel like mac and cheese, especially when done right, doesn't need any toppings. And I feel like if you feel like it needs toppings, then the mac and cheese itself probably isn't good enough to warrant eating. So my thought on this is when I'm going to Quick Trip to eat, it's usually for a fast grab, something to fill me up, relatively cheap. By the way, the mac and cheese is two ninety nine. just so you know. two ninety nine for the mac and cheese. It jumps up a hair when you add some meat to it, but two ninety nine for the plain Jane. I usually am like, hey... Tied me over something tasty. I'm not looking for like a full lunch or I can do the mac and cheese and the taco type of energy. But that is not usually just plain Jane by itself, a little cup of it. All right. Go ahead, Mitch. I feel like you and I have had enough food together that I think I know what you're going to say about this, but. I think it's good. I mean, it's, it's creamy, cheesy mac and cheese. I like the melted cheese top. It tastes a lot like. For me, El Pollo Loco is what we have back home. I think they're coming to Kansas City at some point. I would love that. They're really good chicken. And it just tastes like a kind of generic side dish from your favorite fast food place that has creamy mac and cheese. And I think that little extra bit of cheese layer kind of puts it over the top in terms of, like, getting it above a five or six. You know, I think it distinguishes it a little bit. So I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was just very, very average mac and cheese. I don't think it was bad. I don't think that it was great. Maybe it would be better if you add some buffalo chicken. But buffalo chicken, if you add that to most things, it's going to be better. Or you add a little barbecue to it. I thought it was just pretty standard. That was, to me, like a, you know, like when you go to, like, a restaurant and you're just like, hey, I want a side of something. They just give you just a regular side of just mac and cheese. I thought it was, I thought it was fine. So I'd probably give, like, a 5.2. See, I'd probably still go with like the six and a half because I think it is a regular side of mac and cheese. But to me, that is delicious. And I really <laughs> like doing that because I don't make good creamy mac and cheese like this at home. And if you're making it from the box, you can't get it quite like this anyway. So I think it's something better and different than what I would say is just like an average overall mac and cheese. So compared to its peers, it's probably a five. It's just right down the middle in terms of. Um, you know, comparing it to, to similar styles. But in terms of, like, the general food world, I'd still give it, you know, that above average six and a half. Yeah, I took another bite. That's just an average. That's just, that's just 
But it's it's creamy mac and cheese with extra cheese on top. So that's it's definitely creamy. Yeah, it's definitely creamy. I'm I'm going five point two. You gave it a six point five. Yeah, I did. I like mac and cheese. I think it's you know a good enough version of it. And I'm not a top mac and cheese with something else guy. I don't want buffalo flavor. I don't want barbecue flavor. I just want to eat a side of mac and cheese. And so for me, this accomplishes the task of like giving me a few bites of that creamy mac and cheese side. And I wouldn't make it the star ingredient as well. All right. So we have tried the brisket taco from Quick Trip. And I actually was a fan of the brisket taco. We have now tried the mac and cheese. Rob, I'm with you. I certainly see how if you added some other things to it, you might come away with, all right, hey, some quick five bucks. I understand it now. All right. We have, what is this? Is this a flatbread left? It doesn't look like a flatbread. You it looks like a, a taco to me. chicken bacon ranch flatbread and a grilled cheese left. Those okay. will be the two items remaining. Mitch, you're looking at this. This is not like a flatbread. No, that's it looks a, like a taco. To Carrington's point, this looks. Ex- this is the same exact presentation as the brisket taco. Yeah. It's the same tortilla, and it's folded in half. So if anything, you could argue it's more of a quesadilla. Mm, yeah, no, that's, that's what it looks like to me. This, this does not look like a, not look like a taco to me. Or a or a flatbread. This pizza is one of my me. one of my go to when I do go to Quick Trip for the food because it kind of looks like a pita. That's right, more of a, maybe a wrap type of energy. Yeah, maybe. But this is one of my this is one of my favorites when I go. It's four forty nine. So again, under five bucks. You know, you get a bag of chips at Quick Trip or maybe the mac and cheese. You're satiated for eight bucks. It's chicken bacon ranch. It's a straightforward flavor way flavor wise you guys can imagine. Four forty nine. No reason to be dislike it. Also. I do like their bacon. Like, it's a weird thing to say, but a lot of fast food bacon kind of stinks. I like their bacon a lot. This reminds me a lot of Jack in the Box bacon. If you ever get, like, the Bacon Ultimate Cheeseburger, um, that's the vibe I'm getting in terms of, like, texture, look, and taste from the bacon as well. All right. Mitch, where are you at? I've taken two, three bites of this uh, little pita concoction they have. I took one bite. I think the flavors are all there. You get the bacon, you get the chicken. The chicken's more tender than I would have expected for <laughs> gas station chicken. It was very tender. And it's pretty cheesy. I think they're a little heavy-handed on the cheese. The flatbread thing, it's not a flatbread. It's no, a taco I don't know or a wrap. I was expecting a pizza. That's not a pizza. No, I, I was hoping you kind of get one of those, like, griddled, you know, panini press flatbread type, type of things. That would give it a little bit of crunch and maybe elevate the textural component, but... Um, flavor-wise, it's it's good. It's nothing spectacular, but again, this gets into the like. It's hard to beat cheese and ranch and bacon and chicken when it's all together with some sort of uh, thing that it's wrapped in. The ranch was a lot better than I had expected it being. You're right. The chicken was a lot more tender than I expected. It wasn't maybe as flavorful as I kind of like my chicken to be. I thought the flavor kind of came from the ranch more so than it came from the actual food. But it was fine. What's the price on this? Because that's going to affect forty nine, four forty nine for that. I'd much rather have the brisket taco than have that flatbread. If, if, if those are my two options, if you're telling me they cost the same, I'd much rather have another brisket taco than have the flatbread. I thought the flatbread was fine. I'd probably give it a, let me give it a 6.8, 6.8 for the flatbread. Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the 5.5 five to 6 region, I think. Oh, wow. Well, I, I, you'd rather have the brisket taco. And- yeah, no, I wouldn't. What'd you rate the brisket taco? I had it as a seven point five. Okay, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I think this is beneath the brisket taco, and I had that at about a six point five or seven. So to me, this comes in, you know, five know. five to six zero. Oh, that's, that, that's definitely a line. You know, bacon can be a little bit chewy sometimes. You don't quite get the right pieces. 
Um, like you said, I think the ranch is really carrying this. And to me, if you need the ranch to kind of carry the dish, then maybe something else is missing just a little bit. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I didn't really get the the bacon. It wasn't it wasn't as much. I actually thought the chicken is kind of what the chicken and the ranch and the cheese are kind of what carried it. The bacon. It was it was uh, it was not a main character. That's what I expected it to be. Carrington, we're at the three-quarter mark. You were talking bad about Quick Trip around this time on the show yesterday. You were saying, boy, you got to be down bad to eat the kitchen food, this, that, and the other. There's still one thing left to try, but have you begun to backtrack, backpedal, rescind those comments? Because I'm not hearing 2.1s come out of no, your mouth. you're right. The food is a little better than I had anticipated. But I at least want to say this. For the chicken ranch thing, I'm going to need at least two of those for it to be worth it. That if you're going to tell me that I now have to spend 8 to $12 to kind of get my fill, I don't think I would get lunch from Quick Trip now that I've had it. But this is not bad. Like, let's say that you went to Quick Trip and I was like, hey, bring me back something and you brought me back this chicken wrap. I don't think that's bad. But again, if I'm ordering this brisket taco thing, Mitch, how many of these would you need where you would say, oh, I had a good lunch? You would probably need at least three of these. I'm not spending $12 on these, on these three no, tacos. No, be 15 I think that was four ninety nine. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, that's way too much. Yeah, it falls into the role of like, is it truly a substitute for lunch? Is it more what Rob's saying where it's kind of a pick-me-up throughout the day where it's a quick meal? But even then, I feel like once you kind of get above $8, you feel like you're spending enough to kind of warrant feeling full, like it's a full meal. And you would have to spend at least $8 to do two of these things, mm-hmm. whether it's a wrap plus just the mac and cheese by itself, which you guys both said you're not going to eat that by itself. Um, so now you're probably in the 10 to $12 range for just a snack that's not a full meal. I'm not doing that. So, yeah, that that's where it's it's quick food. It's good food, um, probably not great food. But I think it's priced in a way that's more similar to a meal replacement as opposed to like a midday pick me up. No, I'm a hundred percent with you. All right. So now we are here. So this is what really started. And I admit I was talking kind of bad on it. I just can't imagine you getting a grilled cheese sandwich from the gas station like that. That's still (laughs) mind blowing to me, mind blowing to me that you would do that. So we have one thing left. We have the grilled cheese. Now Rob is going to, he's going to put all kind of caveats. Oh, I normally put all this other stuff. No, this is the standard edition grilled cheese. You didn't, you didn't get standard. us the brie and fig grilled cheese? No. The, <laughs> to continue to what Karen was going to say, you can spice it up a little bit. You can get the brisket. You can get bacon. You can get buffalo chicken on it or pulled pork on it. You can also get it with Italian style with salami and I believe something else. How much is that? It's all in the same bowl. I mean, the more the fancier ones are more expensive, but the plain Jane run-of-the-mill grilled cheese is two eighty nine. dollars oh, Okay, that's not bad. This is the best value item so far, I would say. Yeah, I agree. I usually add the bacon to mine, and like I get some chipotle sauce on the side. But you guys can you enjoy. You really pl- do love quick trip bacon, I love don't quick you? Trip bacon, <laughs> quick trip bacon is good fast food bacon. So looking at it, the exterior looks pretty well griddled and toasted and buttery sheen to it, which I like. Uh, cheese wise, it looks like maybe shredded cheese was used, and it's three quarters of the way there in terms of uh, meltiness, but. General looking at it, I think it's actually better than I expected. Let's dig in. All right, I'm trying this grilled cheese. This is the one that you were talking big bad about. Oh, you got to be down real bad to grilled cheese at the gas station. I still feel that way for the record. <laughs> Just can't imagine you go in there and you're like, man, you know what? I'm going to sit around. I'm going to wait for them to make me a grilled cheese sandwich. 
All right. I think I'm ready to give my score. Where are you at, Mitchell Schwartz? Took two bites, opened it up. One side is just a classic slice of American cheese. The other side looks like some sort of blend of shredded cheeses. Um, I'm going to give this a four. <laughs> I, I think it's a little below average. Um, the cheese does not have too much flavor. I think it could have used a little bit of salt. If you're ever making a grilled cheese at home after you griddle it and you get that exterior crusty, a little bit of salt is going to uh, up your game and people are going to enjoy that, especially on the outside as you're kind of biting into some fat and some salt and some crunch. That That's a really good thing. Yeah, this is solid. I mean, it's not like I wouldn't eat it. I'm not super picky about food, and if it was presented to me uh, as it is here, I'm still going to eat the thing, but I, I think it's a little bit below average. All right. I'm going to give this. Now I feel like I have to readjust my score for the mac and cheese because the mac and cheese was the worst thing that we've had today, in my opinion. Really? I would eat, I would eat this grilled cheese sandwich before I would eat it. The only reason Whoa. I'm going to give it a 5.3 is the bread had a little bit more had a little bit more crunch than I was expecting. It was not <laughs> soggy bread. It was actually a little crispy bread. Now, I'm with you on everything else you said. It was not a great buttery taste to me. I don't think it was incredibly cheesy. So this was just a standard So you're going you're giving it slightly above average. And better than the mac and cheese just because the bread was crunchy. No, you're, I, you're, you're admitting that the butter wasn't there, the cheese flavor wasn't there, the saltiness wasn't there. It wasn't there. But it's the mac, still above the mac and cheese. I just thought the mac and cheese was just very... Let me get the mac and cheese. I only took one bite. All right. Let me give it one more. All right. I'm just saying, for me, there is no chance that I would ever order that mac and cheese again. Like, this, this grilled cheese sandwich, if you had it with a decent soup, I'd be like, oh, okay, that's fine. I just thought the grilled cheese was okay. It wasn't nearly the amount of hype that they were putting on hold, it yesterday. Hold on. Did you say they if you had put a, a lot of extra sauce on it? It wasn't that good. Did you say if you had a decent soup? So you're going to go order a soup at one place to get the grilled cheese at Quick Trip just to make it no, work? No, I'm saying is like if I had a soup and you just brought me a, a grilled cheese from Quick Trip, it wouldn't be that bad. It was just okay. I, all right. Now, now that let me, I'm going to go back. Now that we've had all four of the food items, Mitchell Schwartz. I'm going to give the brisket taco the seven and a half. I thought that was the star of what we've had so far today. That was actually a decent taco. I would give the flatbread. Taco slash quesadilla. Yeah, slash whatever wrap. that was. The flatbread wrap pita. I'd give it a 6.2, 6.5, somewhere in that range. I thought you, you made a really good point. I really like it just because I like the ranch. Like I didn't really like it because the chicken was good or the bacon was good. I thought it I thought the ranch with the chicken it was a good combination. It was fine. A 6.2. I'm going to give the grilled cheese sandwich. I'll give it a 5.3. I do think the bread was a star here. I thought it had a good crunch to it. I liked it. I got to give the mac and cheese a 4.8. I thought the mac and cheese was below average. I thought it was very, very run-of-the-mill, very cookie-cutter, very plain Jane. So after taking a couple more bites, I think I can see where you're coming from. I still don't agree with you. I, I still think it's good. I think it hits the creamy notes. It's got a cheesier flavor than the grilled cheese. I think maybe there's a little bit better salt content in there. I really like, again, that cheese top, and it kind of crisps up around the edges to give you some some textural contrast with how soft the the noodles are which i do like in a macaroni noodle um i'm sticking with all mine i think the macaroni and the brisket taco were the two best i think the chicken bacon ranch came after that and 
the grilled cheese. I just the last for you. You just you have to have some flavor component. You can't. The only thing that's sticking out to you is the texture. <laughs> no, the texture. And the a texture did it toasted for me. piece of bread <laughs> does texture. not supersede <laughs> butter, cheese, and salt. Now I do think, on the whole, this is a lot better than I expected. No, hundred percent. This, as we've done taste tests before, is not even the best format to eat stuff. Where it's a little bit maybe later than what you typically would for something hot, and it still is is coming in at a pretty good clip. All right, you know what? This was good. I do have two football questions to ask you on the other side. I do want to get your opinion, but you know what? I want to now take the time to apologize to Quick Trip. I'm sorry. I was unfamiliar with your game. I'm I was unfamiliar now. I still think it's crazy if you go in there and you buy and you leave with $15 worth of hot food from Quick Trip. I do think that something has gone wrong, and I would advise you to take that money and go get you a better meal. But in a snack, in a pinch, in a, hey, I got dinner coming up in an hour and a half and I'm hungry now, but I need something to hold me over. If you got a brisket taco, that's not the worst thing I think you can do. No, I agree with you there. I, I still think, I don't know. To me, I just have an association with the gas station. Like, this is where I'm going for, like, snacks, like yeah, the chips, chips and, and all that stuff. So, to me, to walk in and, like, if I'm going to drop $5, I'm going to walk out with four bags of chips, you know? <laughs> you know, I'm not going to walk out with one brisket taco. Uh, so it's it's a little bit, like I said, breaking down a bit of the stereotype I have of what I would get in a gas station. So I do commend Quick Trip for uh, having some food that I think is pretty good, and I can see why they all have these in them. All right, coming up on the other side, I'll ask Mitchell Schwartz football questions. That's next. Keep it right here. It's The Drive. The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Kansas City is Justin Reed. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. We got Mitchell Schwartz here. We just got done trying food from Quick Trip. I want to once again apologize to Quick Trip. I was a little unfamiliar with your game. The food was much better than I had anticipated. And I still don't take back that you shouldn't be getting $12 to $15 worth of food from there. But, hey, if you just stop in, get yourself a quick taco, a quick little something grab and go, you know, I don't think it's that bad of an option. It was uh, much better. Mitch, we need to do this more often. Is there like a fast food item? That you've seen and want to try because I suggest the next time you come in, let's do Sonic has a pulled pork cheeseburger, which from Sonic, it's a pulled pork cheeseburger. <laughs> I can see going in a lot of different directions. We need to try that the next time you're here. Yeah, there's nothing that stands out, but I know there's always new menu items and there's always places I haven't tried. So I'm down to do more of these. All right, I'm, I'm down. Let's uh, we'll work with Rob and we'll coordinate it with your schedule and we'll find out uh, more uh, food places that we need to try. I don't have many football things to ask you. It is now the off season. What is like mid February like for a football player? Like, what are you now doing? Because you know you've won the Super Bowl, and now you just have this time. There's no OTAs. There's no mini camp for a while. What is the average football player doing doing during this time period? Right now, the average football player is getting back into workouts, and uh, the Chiefs, on the other hand, are probably still decompressing from the Super Bowl and taking some time off, especially now with the 17-game, 18-week season, pushing the Super Bowl back a week. You only get two months if you're in the Super Bowl. I mean, played whatever it was, the 13th or the 12th, and then OTAs come around, and it's like April 15th, April 20th, and you're already back into it. And 
when I was in my former employer, we did not make the playoffs, and we were pretty much always done on January 1st of every year. Um, so I would kind of, you know, take that first month off, and then you have from two to two and a half months, depends if you have a new coach or not. If you have a new coach, you show up two weeks early, which is terrible. Um, but you kind of backtrack, and, you know, if you have eight weeks to work out, that's pretty awesome. But, like, the Chiefs only have nine or ten weeks total. And with how stressful these seasons are and with how banged up you get and how much playoffs, you know, this team has played over the past few years, you definitely want to take some time off. But you also feel kind of rushed like OTs around the corner and you feel an obligation to be in shape for that. So there's a bit of a a balancing act in terms of wanting to enjoy your success, wanting to get away and travel and take some time off. And then, oh, man, it's already the middle of March and, you know, we got to show up in a month. So this particular time is still low stress and it's still uh get away while you can you know some of us can fly to australia some of us can't um but you know just kind of do what you can i mean it seems like the life though to be able to fly to australia right now and they have you know a news crew for whenever you land and then you take your pop star girlfriend to the zoo afterwards seems like a really good life that would be awesome man <laughs> i think they're both living their best lives right now it's uh it's pretty cool to see. I mean, I don't think Travis, like you said it takes a month for you to get back into it. I think it might take Travis two, maybe two and a half months for him to get back <laughs> in the lab and start practicing football again. Yeah, you know, he's going to have a lot of obligations, and it's pretty awesome for him that she's touring and that he can go experience that with her and, and probably go to places that he wouldn't have ordinarily wanted to go. I mean, a lot of the travel I do with my wife, it's kind of places that she wants to go because I'm – more content to kind of just stay around and hang out at home and all those things. And she's like, Hey, let's go here. Let's go there. Okay. And then it turns out there's a lot of cool places <laughs> in the world to visit. So, um, yeah, I'm sure he's going to enjoy, you know, everything, uh, that his success has brought him and as well, he should. Have you been to Australia before that? I have not. Um, there's a lot of places that I haven't been to that I want to go to, but that's good. That's a long flight. No, it seems like a lot. That's what. But I mean, at least if if you're flying his way now, you might not be flying <laughs> private to Australia. If you're flying his way private to Australia, you know what? It might not be that bad. Yeah, I just gotta find someone that is worth over a billion dollars that has multiple planes, and uh, you know the twenty five to thirty million that I make just pales in comparison <laughs> to what she does. Um, yeah, that's that's. I will say the one thing that you know what athletes are making money for and all this stuff, the ability to fly private is kind of a game changer. And as much money as I made responsibly, it's not smart to fly private and to do it very often. So we don't do that, but to unlock that kind of different way of traveling now flying private from here all the way there is, is pretty nutty. Um, but just kind of domestically to be able to, you know, pop to different cities and stuff. That is probably one of the best perks of, of what we do. All right, I have a couple of football questions to ask you. First off, the Chiefs have, I would say, a major decision regarding Chris Jones. Well, that's maybe two parts. There's the Jones decision there. There's a Snead decision. I guess the way I've approached it with Chris Jones, I felt like if if both sides were going to reach an agreement, that agreement was to be had last offseason. And with the back and forth and with him missing the first regular season game, I think Chris has made it pretty clear, I want to make market value. I think the Chiefs have also made it very clear, if I don't want to pay you market value, now that they can franchise tag him and they have until March 5th to reach that agreement with Chris Jones, how do you see it ending with Chris Jones? And do you think he continues to be a Chief? It depends what you think market value is. You know, he was offered somewhere between, I think, the top of the normal D-tackle market, I think it was Quinnen at the time, or one of those guys around 24. And 
Aaron Donald was at like 31. So do you consider Aaron Donald to be top of the market or do you consider, you know, the other five guys that are just signed to be top of market? I kind of ran into this with Lane Johnson, who was kind of a weird case and always got paid more than a traditional right tackle would because at the time he was seen as like a quasi left tackle and they were going to sign him for the future. And Jason Peters was like 34, 35. And then he just kept playing until he's 40. Um, so we were trying to say, well, Lane's a right tackle. That's the top of the market. And other teams did not agree with that. And I think that seemed to be a discrepancy last year as maybe Chris wanted Aaron Donald money and the Chiefs said, no, that's not the actual market, but we're going to pay you pretty substantially over what the rest of the guys make. Has that changed at all? We don't know. It does seem like the outcome of the holdout was that Chris was more sorry for it happening or you know felt worse about it or however you want to look at that and maybe doesn't want that to happen again where I think the team would be okay with kind of holding to what they need to do and obviously, after you know some celebration at the parade, Chris made it obvious he doesn't want to leave. I mean, most guys don't. Um, so that's going to be the question: Is it if you argued for Aaron Donald money last year, and now the cap's going up by twenty or thirty million? Is it now Aaron Donald money plus X percent, or is it Nick Bosa money, who's at thirty-four million a year as the top defense alignment? Um, so I think that's kind of the crux of the debate. Now, the funny thing is, based on how he played that last game for for the sack money. She just offer him a million and a half for every sack, and it's just all incentive based. He'd be incredible. <laughs> he'd be incredible. He'd set the record. He'd have fifty sacks, and you'd pay him whatever fifty, seventy plus million that is. But probably be worth it. Um, no, it's just a little funny thing. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. It's again going to come down to does he want a standard or a good increase over what the other top of the market defensive tackles make, or is Aaron Donald the true top of the market? And then does he want inflation increases on top of that? Because two years ago was his best season. That was his first season when you kind of dive into like the stats and the advanced stuff that he played more similar to an Aaron Donald level. Um, you know, Chris plays a lot. He's on the field a lot. So some of the stats look really good in terms of the, the total volume of it. But when you look at kind of a snap by snap basis and the impact, um, he's had a lot of really good seasons where he's the second best guy in the league or, or in that top five, he's really only had that one season where he was truly at Donald's level in terms of some of the advanced data. So that's probably the Chiefs' perspective, saying you've only done this once. We're not going to like pay you when Aaron Donald did this eight straight years in a row. Um, so it's interesting. You don't really know what's going on unless you're in those rooms, and we're not in that room. What do you think happens with Snead? That one, I just, I, I just don't see them resigning him. We, we've never done that with a corner. Um, we seem to be able to draft and develop really, really well. And um, they kind of use money on the middle of the defense for whatever reason, even though, you know, historically the data shows that linebackers and safeties are maybe not the premium positions to spend money on, but we spent it on Tyranny, turned the defense around, spent it on Justin Reed. We saw the impact he's had, spent it on Anthony Hitchens. Obviously Bolton is coming up here. And I think when you're looking at, what drives the other? Is it the back end or the front end? I think you always kind of look to the defensive line first and you prioritize, okay, well, the pass rush is going to make the DBs look better. It's you know relatively seldom that a DB unit is so good that it makes the pass rush look better. And you need so many guys to do that and, and to be at that level. So if we do sign Snead, that's great. He's definitely earned the money, whether it's here or somewhere else. It just would be a departure from how we've typically done it with corners. And I would kind of need to see it before I thought that was what was going to happen. 
That is our guy, Mitchell Schwartz, joining us in studio. He came in here to try quick trip food and talk football. Food and football, you know, we did two of your favorite things during this yeah. disappearance, man. I came, this is a good I saw, one. I ate. Thank you you conquered. To, I conquered. Thank you to Quick Trip and to Carrington's vast budget of uh, food he was allotted. Next time we got to have you pay for the food. Whatever food we eat next Ooh, time, we got to put know, that on your tab. Man, you might not see me until next season. <laughs> that is our guy, Mitchell Schwartz, joining us in studio. Keep it right here. It's The Drive. The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. The home of the Royals is 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. A couple people on the text line. CDOT, guys, have you talked about the punter situation? Yes, we have, but you know what? We can do it again. Maybe you were at work earlier today. For those of you that missed it, Tommy Townsend, probably out of here. So he is a free agent. He hired... Drew Rosenhaus to be his agent, and you know what that usually means. If you hire Drew Rosenhaus, you know you want to make as much money as you can playing football, and teams don't really like that all the time. So the Chiefs went out, and they got Matt Ariza. You guys might remember him. He was nicknamed the punt god coming out of college from San Diego State, and he was involved in a, what's the correct term, like off-the-field incident? Like, how would you categorize it? I mean, it was a pretty serious one. I mean, I don't want to downplay it at all. A woman accused Matt Ariza of sexual assault. He was then cut from his team. Eventually, there were no charges that were filed. thing that I am reading, and I'm trying to catch up on this because I remember it, but it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. It doesn't sound like he was even there when this alleged sexual assault took place. So it sounds like he was falsely accused, wrongly accused of sexual assault. And the NFL, I think, has been very clear, and I will give the NFL some credit. I think they have done a much better job of late in how they handle these scenarios. He was pretty instantly cut from a team. He has now gone through the legal process. He has now completed the legal process. He was found with no wrongdoing. In this incident, and in my opinion, you are allowed to move forward with your life. And if a team wants to sign you to a deal, you should have the ability to be signed by a team. The Chiefs are now the team that has signed Matt Ariza. So I don't really have any issue with them going out and making this move, especially for a player that was as successful as he was. I get it if you want Tommy Townsend to be here, but if you took... So his senior year, his last year of school, because he left early because he was that good of a punter. If you took his last year at college and what his average was, 56.78, if you take his average and he does that next year for the Chiefs, he will be the best punter in the National Football League. And we all know it is a talent acquisition business. If you got a chance to improve the, the your roster, you are going to improve it. And if you were telling me in one instance, Tommy Townsend, who made around $2.6 million, you hired Drew Rosenhaus, you're looking to cash in, and you should. You're one of the better punters in the league. And if the top punters are making $5 million a year, I want to make around $5 million a year. I'm not mad at Tommy Townsend. I'm also not mad at the Chiefs for saying, well, we're not going to try to bring you back, and we're going to try to get younger, cheaper, and potentially better at the position And given everything that happened off the field with Matt Ariza, given that there are some organizations that just simply wouldn't even take a chance on them for very different reasons, don't have the structure, maybe don't have the goodwill with the fan base, whatever reason, the Chiefs can do this in 
We haven't seen terms of the deal. I'm going to guess it's somewhere between 750000 and maybe $1.5 million. That's, I think $1.5 is maybe the high end of what you would pay him to come in and be the punter. I see why the Chiefs did it. It makes a lot of sense to me from a player acquisition standpoint. From an on-the-field standpoint, it makes a lot of sense to me. Tommy Townsend wants a bigger contract. Tommy Townsend was an all-pro. His last punt in Kansas City, in all likelihood, was the one that led to the fumble that kind of jolted the Chiefs' offense life in the Super Bowl. Tommy Townsend was a good punter in Kansas City. But if you hire Drew Rosenhaus and you're saying, hey, I want top-of-the-market punter money, while that's not the $30, $40 million other players are getting, if it's 3 4 and 5 and the Chiefs have a chance to cut down on pricing and save $4 million, on the field it makes sense to me. But I think off the field, despite the fact the lawsuit was dropped and the allegations turned out to be – criminal charges were never filed is the term I read in a report criminal charges were never filed. I do think it's worth noting. I would be there. Not every team in the NFL would sign Matt Ariza because even though he's been cleared of all the wrongdoing, he still is connected by name to a off the field incident that we now know to be not happened, but was problematic at the time the bills cut him out of hand they didn't they didn't they didn't weigh out the process like they're doing with von miller by the way they cut him immediately i think a lot of teams would say nah he's not worth the risk still the chiefs for all the reasons you said are willing to take the risk probably in part because of a goodwill and equity they built up with fans and if he's able to stay out of trouble and be the punter he was in college just a great on the field move for the chiefs I just want to give you guys a couple of stats because I get it. You know, you know Tommy Townsend. He has nice flowing hair. I just want to give you a couple of stats that maybe this isn't the worst thing in the world. Last season, I'm simply the messenger here. Last season in the NFL, when it came to average, he was 17th in the NFL last year. When it comes to touchbacks, and I understand you don't want your punter to always get a touchback, he was 17th in the NFL at touchbacks. I would say inside the 20s. That's a pretty significant statistic, right, Rob? For a punter, he was 26th in the NFL last year at punts inside the 20. He was 26th. I do not think that it is crazy to believe that the Chiefs improved at the position today and also did it at a significantly less price. That, to me, the question about Matt Ariza has nothing to do with his ability based on how good of a college punter he was. They nicknamed him Punt God. You know how good you got to be at something for them to nickname you the God at it? You got to be really, really good. They're not just doing that with average people when it comes to something. You got to be top tier, S tier, elite for them to call you the God at something. That's what they call Matt Ariza. The the only real debate is about the the off-the-field stuff. And I have no reason to believe, based on what we have read, that he is guilty of what that woman accused him of. I'm not here to speak out of turn about sexual assault survivors, not at all. But from the reading that I've done and what I understand about this case, there is no reason to believe that Matt Ariza done, had did this. And if you are somebody that believes in second chances and innocent until proven guilty, he was not found guilty. He was never charged with anything. The district attorney who prosecuted said there's no reason to believe that he was even in the house when this happened. I don't think Matt Ariza did it. So if you are innocent and you are highly talented at something, you're allowed to go back and and get a job. So I don't have any problem with the Chiefs picking up Matt Ariza. I don't have any problem with it. 
And again, if you're looking at the numbers from last season, I don't know if Tommy Townsend is maybe as good as you remember. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Chiefs are perfectly fine to let him walk and let him leave in free agency. I trust the Chiefs to do their due diligence. Like, under Brett Veach, has there been a player where you go, oh, he had some off-the-field issues, the Chiefs brought him in, and the -the off-the-field issues continued? Or has it been a consistent stable of player comes in, might have some off-the-field troubles, Get your second chance here, and it's been all smooth sailing. It's very Patriot-like. Remember the Patriots used to take in you know, wayward players all the time, get them on the straight and narrow, and they produced on the field. Like Last offseason around this time, Chiefs fans weren't talking about Charles Minahu. He got suspended for the NFC title game with the Niners for an off-the-field incident. He took his six-game suspension. There have been no problems since. Willie Gay had some issues early in his career here in Kansas City. None since, but... He's been on the straight and narrow. I feel like the Chiefs are becoming the new Patriots in the fact that they take in these players. They're able to keep them, you know, front of mind for football only. You don't hear any off the field issues and they go on their merry way. It's it's nice to be that team now. Yeah, you're right. And I'm, I'm seeing people say, hey, Tommy Townsend was an all pro. And you're right. He In 2022, he was an all pro. He was worse in almost every single metric last year. Every single one. Like, there is not a single metric, and it was not a noticeable decline. Whether it was average yards per punt, touchdown, touchback, all of those things that we measure punters, he was not the same guy this past season. And the Chiefs are betting, hey, your contract is up. Like most people, when their contract is up, you are expecting a raise. We're not going to give you a raise, and we think we're going to do it. I'm on the Chiefs' side. Now, if you got questions about how his field goal holding looks like, this is not the show for you. I have absolutely no clue. I'm going to assume it's fine, or I'm going to assume that they got coaches and they got a lot of time to figure it out if his, if his holding is a problem. But when it comes to punting, he could possibly be the best punter in the league. Keep it right here. You're listening to The Drive. Coming up on the other side, we'll get to the top stories of the day in Kansas City. Keep it right here. It's The Drive. Congratulations on getting through your 9 to 5. Thank you so much for listening. It is The Drive on 610 Sports Radio, 610sports.com and the Odyssey app. My name is Karen Harrison. I appreciate you listening and making me a part of your day. We have a lot to get into in this 5 o'clock hour. I want to thank you for making us a part of your day again here on The Drive on 610 Sports Radio. Let's start with what continues to be the top offseason story with the Kansas City Chiefs, at least for a couple more weeks, what the plan is regarding Chris Jones and Legereus Need. Matt Verderam, friend of the show, he was on Cody and Gold earlier today. He was asked a question, who's more important, Sneed or Jones? I think it's with Brett Veach. You're talking to both sides, right? You're talking to the Cats brothers with Jones, and you're talking to Sparrow Lawson, the agent for Legereus Need, and you're saying, look, uh, I'm willing to tag either one of these two players. Um, and so it, it behooves everybody to work out a long-term deal before that, that drop-dead date of the, of the tag deadline. So now, look, I don't think it's going to be easy with either one. Obviously, we already saw what this looked like with Chris Jones last summer. I think if the Chiefs are going to sign him long-term, they're going to have to up the offense. There's no question. They're going to have to get either really close to or at that $30 million a year range you know, I, I think the question there is what is the term? Is it a couple of years? Is it three years? I know speaking to people in the league, they think he could get a four-year deal. So where does it land? As far as Snead goes, you know, 
doing due diligence, talking to people in the NFL, there's an expectation. Hey, look, he could command around $15 million a year. I think if you're the Chiefs, that'd be pretty good. Maybe that number's gone up since the Super Bowl, the way he played toward the end of the playoffs. Maybe now it's more in the 17- to 18-year range. It's, it's cheaper to tag Snead, but I think Jones has to be the priority right now for the Chiefs. They can, they can kind of withstand losing Snead, even though they wouldn't want to. Losing Jones, I don't know how you replace him. I agree with the end part of what Matt Verderam said there. If you were talking about who the more unique player is and who is going to be the hardest player to replace, I agree. I do believe that it would be Chris Jones. But I do think we have to factor in ease and sort of availability in this sense. Who is going to be the easier player to re-sign to a long-term extension? And I think it is very clearly it is going to be the player who is going to cost significantly less than the other player. I want to play for you guys what Mitchell Schwartz had to say, and we'll dive deeper into it on the other side, because I think, at least in this conversation, we have talked a lot about team-friendly deals and is Chris Jones willing to give some kind of hometown discount. Here's what our guy Mitchell Schwartz had to say about it. Is Aaron Donald the true top of the market, and then does he want inflation increases on top of that? Because two years ago was his best season, That was his first season when you kind of dive into, like, the stats and the advanced stuff that he played more similar to an Aaron Donald level. Um, You know, Chris plays a lot. He's on the field a lot. So some of the stats look really good in terms of the the total volume of it. But when you look at kind of a snap-by-snap basis and the impact, um, he's had a lot of really good seasons where he's the second-best guy in the league or, or in that top five. He's really only had that one season where he was truly at Donald's level in terms of some of the advanced data. So... That's probably the Chiefs' perspective, saying you've only done this once. We're not going to like pay you when Aaron Donald did this eight straight years in a row. Um, so it's interesting. You don't really know what's going on unless you're in those rooms, and we're not in that room. Bro, I was thinking this as Mitchell Schwartz was talking. I wrote this down so we can talk about it at the 5 o'clock hour. I would say that this is their best chance to sign Chris Jones. Their best chance is to sit down with him, his agent, Clark, Andy, all the people that matter. And, hey, we're all adults here. Let's get to the brass tacks. You know and I know that we cannot franchise tag you. As much as people keep throwing out the tag and trade, you are not acquiring Chris Jones on a tag that would make him the highest-paid non-quarterback in the National Football League. And now you give him all the leverage and you have no cap flexibility until you reach a long-term extension. So if we're going to have an open dialogue here for the sake of this negotiation, if we are all in this room together to come to the same conclusion, you know and we know that we cannot franchise tag you. But we also would like for you to stay here. And you also communicated, Chris, that you want to be here long-term. If you don't remember, you said this last week. Kansas City, we will be back here next year. And for those who want Chris Jones go, I ain't going nowhere, baby. I would show that video to him. And I would say, we're willing to offer you $30 million. That's more than what we offered you last year. Last year, it was a $27.5 million. It's still less than Aaron Donald. It's still less than Nick Bosa. But at $30 million, that makes you the third highest paid defensive player in the league. That's a really good contract. We've shown you a lot of good faith. 
We're asking you to show us some good faith, and we're asking you to give back a little bit of money. We know that if we franchise Taggy, we would owe you more than that money. We also believe, and you probably believe, if you hit free agency, you would also get more than this $30 million. But that is a really, really fair offer that allows you to do everything that you said you wanted to do. You said you want to be here. You said you want to retire a chief. We also understand that you want to be compensated. But, Rob, if that number isn't around $30 million, I just don't know if it's very realistic to think that he's coming back because I would say even at $30 million, you were still giving some money back to the organization. Not a lot, but you're still giving $3, 4000000 million back to your employer. That is not chump change. I would say 30 is where the negotiation starts. Like his cap number is, what, 32? I think if you can get to 32, 33, I think Chris Jones is willing to take – I would say that's relatively team friendly. If he's going to play around the same tag number, or maybe it's, it looks like 33 a year, but it's funny money. So it's backload or whatever. Have you, you know how these things work in the NFL where it's not true money. It's funny money. But I think Chris Jones at 30 is probably good for the chiefs. I see a lot of Chris Jones hand the text line. I get it. He, the analytics don't love him play by play, but he is the best pass rusher on the Chiefs. And the advanced analytics, the ones that people use to talk about how bad Chris Jones is, will point out that George Karloftis' pop last year happened because Chris Jones was so great and double teamed so often. I think Chris Jones is the catalyst that makes this defense as good as it is in the National Football League. There are other pieces, other players that are very important, but I think he is the most important for what they do on that defense. So... If team-friendly means 30, 31, 32, if I'm Brett Veach and Clark Hunt, I say, okay, let's get that deal done. Let's put your name in ink on a piece of paper because that is a good deal for the Chiefs long-term. He is the key cog to repeating or, excuse me, three-peating in Kansas City. Yeah, I'm just looking at the deal and why I think that's it. And I guess this is why if we're having the conversation about sort of like team-friendly deals, And I see a lot of comparisons to Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. I also think it's fair to note that Chris Jones earning potential off the field is not anywhere close to what those two guys are. So Travis Kelsey can say, hey, maybe I don't have to break the tight end market, but I also have the ability to make this up in other ways that Chris Jones is just not going to be able to make it up. I also think it's important to note that the franchise tag for Chris Jones is just more than what. Travis Kelsey is going to make. So even if you give up some money, if you're Chris Jones, you are still going to make a significant amount more money than what a guy like Travis Kelsey is going to make. So I'm looking at it. I mean, if he took that $30 million deal, we're basically talking about the contract that they, that they could have given to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is the only player in the league that makes exactly $30 million a year, four for one twenty. So he is the third highest paid non-quarterback in the National Football League. Number one is Nick Bosa at 34. Number two is Aaron Donald at 31, 32. You can round up. It's three for 95, so it's not an evenly, perfectly round number. And then Tyreek Hill is at at $30 million, and TJ Watt is at 28. Same thing with Devontae Adams. So those are the five highest paid players in the league. If you're Chris Jones, I don't think there's any reason to take less than $28 million. They offered you 27.5 last year. That puts you top five in the entire league for non-quarterbacks. I don't think there's any reason to take that. If you were doing that, you were doing the Chiefs a substantial favor based on what you should believe that your market is. And you were taking, at this point, significantly less than what Aaron Donald got. I think the $30 million, at least to 
I will not take the franchise tag. And I also will not go to free agent. I think the $30 million is a nice compromise. It would involve the Chiefs paying a little bit more than they were willing to pay last offseason. And it also shows you that Chris Jones is willing to take a little bit less to stay in Kansas City. That is what a compromise is. A compromise is not one side conceding. It is both sides conceding. And at least so far in these conversations with the Chiefs, the Chiefs have been unwilling to, to barter. And I get it. Your strategy has worked. Playing hardball with players and either, hey, take it or leave it kind of deal. You have built a dynasty off the strength of negotiating that way. One player didn't bite the same way that you have gotten other players to bite. Now, you can say your loss and, hey, you can go play for another team and you won't have a chance to compete for championships. You got a chance to be on Patrick Mahomes' side. Now you can go up against him. But if this is a player that you really want to keep, you probably have to up your offer a little bit more than you did the last time if you were serious about keeping that player and you were serious about him not hitting the free agent open market. And now, instead of just talking to you, he's talking to seven or eight other teams that could inevitably outbid you and have Chris Jones on their team next season. This offseason, and when I say the offseason, I mean the major two questions that Chiefs had this offseason is fascinating because they have historically played hardball with their guys. But they've played hardball, the one major example we have, with a guy who plays on the same side of the field as Patrick Mahomes, and the Chiefs were betting, Patrick Mahomes is so great, I bet he'll make it work even without you. Is there a Patrick Mahomes on the defense? Because the Chiefs will have... Patrick Mahomes... Oh, at, in the at, NFL, <laughs> anywhere other than the yeah. one that plays quarterback. That's my I point. What you're saying. Are you still able to play hardball and keep a hard line when it comes to two guys on your defense? You were able to do that with Tyree Kill because you knew in the back of your head, we love Tyreek. Our offense will be dynamic with Tyreek. But if Tyreek wants 30, we can still be a great offense and we can still be dynamic because we have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Spags is great. McDuffie is fantastic. There's a lot of good players on that defense. But can you take that same hard line? with these two guys and still maintain that level of defense without that alpha dog that you have on the offense. Yeah. And some of the deals that people are throwing out here, I just think that we are at least past this point where someone just said, how about a two year, $50 million fully guaranteed deal? I, I, they offered him 27.5 last season. And he said, no, if you offer me 27.5, I just got double digit sacks. And I was again, a first team all pro. and We just won another championship. No, I'm not interested in signing for 25. No, no, thanks. I'm okay. I just, I think the price has potentially gone up and the chiefs, they're usually not the side that, Hey, it's, it is now more expensive. All right. We'll pay it. Their solution has usually been, it's more expensive now. All right. We'll figure it out and we'll be just fine. They have done that with just about every player during the Patrick Mahomes era, especially since he has gotten paid. I guess we'll find out if they'll do that with Chris Jones. We got a lot to get into Rob. Let's get into the hits. While you're stuck in traffic on your drive home, The Drive gets you caught up on the biggest sports stories in Kansas City and around the country. It's The Hits, only on The Drive, number one. Well, Carrington, in a stunner, something that when I got in this morning, me and you were prepping the show. Yes, we do prep the show. I never thought we'd be like, hey, hit number one is going to be about a punter. But here we are. Matt Ariza is now a Kansas City Chief. News broke around 215 today. The Chiefs have signed the former San Diego State standout punt God, as he was called, despite his former off the field, the former off the field issues. Carrington, are you surprised the Chiefs are moving on from all pro Tommy Townsend to sign a player who 
worth noting, has not punted football at any point in the National Football League. No, not really. I mean, if you look at the numbers, so Tommy Townsend last year, so 2022, just for clarification, his average punt was 50.4. This year it was down to 47.1. Inside the 20, he was worse. In 2022, 41.5% of his punts landed inside the 20. In 2023, only 33% of his punts landed inside the 20. Now, you might be thinking, well, the Chiefs punted a lot more this past season than they did in 2022. Not really. I mean, in 2022, he had 53 punts. In 2023, he had 59 punts. So six more punts over 17 games is not a drastic difference. Now, you know, you can shank one, something wrong could happen, but... You had more opportunities to put it inside the 20, and you did it less. He was not as good last year. And I think like most jobs, if you weren't as productive at your job and now your contract is up and you have the opportunity to maybe get a little bit cheaper and maybe maintain that same production or potentially get a little bit better, I think the Chiefs took their chance. Tommy Townsend was going to make, what, three, maybe $4 million to punt? And the Chiefs, now we got to see the contract coming up, but... Matt Ariza was going to be on a rookie contract because he was coming out of college. He then had the off-the-field situation. I'm assuming it's going to be incredibly cheap. I mean, you could get Matt Ariza for maybe a third of the cost you were going to get Tommy Townsend. It makes sense to me why the Chiefs were willing to go this route. And if Matt Ariza was cleared of everything off the field, I don't know why you wouldn't at least pursue it if you're an NFL team. Two. Two. Carrington, earlier today, the recently retired first baseman of the Kansas City Royals, or former first baseman of the Kansas City Royals, Eric Hosmer, was on Fesco in the morning talking about his decision to retire, his time in Kansas City, and what's next in his life. But Fesco asked a fascinating question to the former Royals first baseman. Does he regret leaving Kansas City and signing in San Diego? But at the end of the day, the, the game's in a different place, and the whole you know play with one jersey, your whole career thing isn't, um, you know, when I grew up, it was a common thing, and I think now it's not as common. So, you know what, man? It's a decision that I really don't regret because at the end of the day, I had to take care of my family. But it was so cool because even when I was with San Diego, there would be Kansas City fans that were in stands at some of the games, and they'd be wearing the Royals shirt, the Royals hat, and we would always kind of make eye contact and give each other a nod. So that bond will never break, and it was always super strong. Carrington, do you think Eric Hosmer with revisionist history made the right or wrong move designed to chase the bag and head to San Diego? And do you think he's telling the truth when he says it comes down to taking care of his family? Because if I recall, it wasn't like the Royals were offering no money. I just always think that's the default line that athletes use because you can never really counter it, right? Like if a guy says, hey, I did this so I could so I can make the best decision for my family. You got you kind of just got to let it go. I mean, you're not from California. You're from Florida. So it's not like you did this move to get closer to your family. You took the best offer that's possible. And you're certainly allowed to do that. But I do think that he learned. And I think that a lot of players learn this, that there is no substitute for the community that you have built. And it's interesting. We we're talking about Chris Jones. I mean, Chris Jones could find himself in the exact same situation. Hey, you know what? I went out there and I was trying to pursue the absolute most money that was possible. And I was trying to get every single dollar that instead of having $32 million, if I had been willing to take $27 million, I could have stayed in a great situation. I had a great organization. I liked it. My family liked it. But instead I went chasing this small amount of money. 
I think that's a possibility that could happen with him. But at least with Eric Hosmer, I mean, I think it's obvious what happened with him. He was a free agent. You got Scott Boris. Scott Boris's job, kind of like Drew Rosenhaus in the NFL, is to get you the best deal. They got as much money as they possibly could from the Royals. He got offered a five-year, $100 million deal. They then took that offer to bigger clubs, teams that were willing to spend more money. They got seven for 144 against the Padres. And if it's a $40 million difference between the Royals and the Padres, you got to take that deal. You took that deal, and the pressure instantly kicks in. You got to live up to be in this $144 million player to people that don't know you. You came up in the Kansas City system. You know this organization. You've seen that same parking attendant every day that you've gone to the stadium. And I think some of that pressure weighed on Eric Hosmer, and he didn't have the success that he clearly wanted to have in San Diego when he made the deal. I do think that's something to keep in mind with these players as they think about free agency, and it's also a reason why you've seen so many players who don't have a tie to Kansas City still live in Kansas City after their career. It's something unique about this place. And if you can make really good money and be happy and be in a place that you love and a place that appreciates you, maybe that's worth it. $3 million to you over the span of your lifetime. Three. You know it's everywhere. Hit number three is college football. But, Carrington, we now know for sure the college football committee approved the five plus seven rule going forward for the college football playoff. But that doesn't mean the committee and the powers that be didn't discuss or at least kick around the idea of moving from 12, which we've never seen on the field to 14. You are very outspoken. You didn't want to go from four to 12. You hated the idea. You were anti the notion. Are you already pre upset that they are discussing or at least kicking the tires on potentially going to 14, which you know, that means 16, 18, 20 could be coming down the line. I mean, I understand that I might be a little bit of a purist when it comes to the college football regular season because it's something to protect. It seems a little bit disingenuous how we criticize the NBA players for not taking the regular season so seriously and we should try. And now we try to water down every other regular season in favor of increasing the interest in the postseason. That college football has something really, really special that I would say not even the NFL has. All of the regular season games matter in college football. We just watched the Chiefs. The Chiefs went 4-4 four and four down the stretch. It had no effect on their ability to win the championship. They still won it. If that was college football, they would have been eliminated. They would have had more of a sense of urgency to try to figure it out. That's what I like about the sport. That when you get the commissioner who seems to forget the plot, and he says, quote, we want fans to think, that a game in the second week of November, even if you've already lost two or three games, still has a lot of value. That's not what I signed up for college football big, that you got these two nine and three teams and now this game has such great, important value. No, what was wrong with the system that we had? We had the SEC championship game between Georgia and Alabama. You and I, the viewer, knew going into it. If you lose, you are eliminated. That's a playoff game. Sure, they didn't wrap it in some cool thing and call it the college football playoff, but the SEC championship game this year was a playoff. Georgia lost in the playoffs. They couldn't advance. That's life. In the Big Ten, you had Michigan and Ohio State. We all knew the winner of this game will advance. The loser of this game will not advance. One team lost. They couldn't advance. 
That's life. We now want college football to be like all these other sports that we have diminished the regular season and it only the playoff matters. That's not what I want college football to be. I think this is a wrong direction for it to go. I don't like the idea of expanding to 12. I certainly don't like the idea of expanding to 14. Eight was enough. If you were going to do this eight, I still think preserved a lot of what you were talking about in the regular season when it came to college football and still kept the purity of the regular season. And you still would have kept it where seating mattered, where if you win this game, you get a home game. And that obviously would have had a tremendous value in the first round of the playoffs for you to be at home as opposed to going on the road. That's good. I would have been for that. But for the commissioner of the Big Ten to say, we want fans to know that you can lose three games and still have a lot of value. I don't want a college football playoff where you could potentially have three or four losses and still make it. No. Yeah, but your college football has an undefeated Florida State watching at home. Well. Because they got throttled in their bowl game, but that was because the opt-outs like Keon Coleman, hopefully future chief Keon Coleman. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. Sat out because there was nothing left to play for. And an undefeated team that did exactly what you said. They took care of the purity of the regular season. They even won a marquee matchup in September over LSU. Throttled LSU, mind you. They did everything you just said. And the system that you're defending said, screw you to the Knowles. Yeah, and I said, I, I'm fine with you expanding it to eight. But now we've gone from four to 14. There are not 14 teams last season that were in the conversation for the college football championship. We're not 14 teams last season. Like, I'm even looking at who the 14th team would have been. Penn State last year. Rob, you think that Penn State was a team that worthy of competing for the national championship last year? So Penn State last year lost to every team that we thought was good. They lost to Michigan last year. They lost to Ohio State last year. They lost their bowl game last year. That We need to create a system so Penn State can have a chance to compete for the national championship or Oklahoma last season. No. That is not what I'm trying to create. I'm just a believer that in college football, you usually have your chance to win the championship and you squandered it at some point. You played Georgia at home. You had a chance. Georgia beat you. You get to go to the Sun Bowl. That's great. Enjoy the Sun Bowl. This is just a simple repackaging of bowl games. That's what it is. Bowl games stopped mattering. They had to figure out a way to make bowl games matter again because kids didn't want to play them anymore. So they figured out a way of, oh, let's just call it the playoff. And now bowl games that kids were opting out of, you now have to play in these games because we made them part of the playoff. That's what they're expanding. There are not 14 teams in college football that could Arizona was not winning the college championship last year. They have simply repackaged the bowl games. Keep it right here. It's the drive. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esqually Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this on your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. Hey, Chiefs fans, it's Patrick Mahomes. Catch me every Monday with CDOT during the season on your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. Back in on the drive on 610 Sports Radio, 610sports.com, and the Odyssey app. So I was perusing the interwebs, and I was reading, and there continues to be a lot of smoke that the Chiefs could potentially go get Mike Evans. And there was an offshore betting account that did the odds. 
And they actually had the number one team to go get Mike Evans was Kansas City. The Chiefs were a plus 200 favorite to go get Mike Evans. The Jets were at plus 300. The Chicago Bears were at plus 500. The Chiefs potentially had the inside track, the story read, to go out there and get Mike Evans. Rob, and then you told me what Spot Track had to say about Mike Evans and what they had his projected contract turning out to be. And you know what? No thanks. Now, I'm not one to disagree with Spot Track. I love Spot Track. You guys know that. They've been on the show multiple times over the course of the season. I'm sure that they're going to be on the season again between now and the start of free agency. But if you were telling me that the projected contract puts Mike Evans where he is going to be a top five highest paid wide receiver in the National Football League, I am here telling you that I strongly disagree that that is going to be the case. They have Mike Evans at around a four-year, $92 million deal, making $23 million a season. I promise you he will not make that. No. No. And I like This is not even my Mike Evans should not be in the Hall of Fame stance. This is just the market value. There's too many good wide receivers in this draft class for you to pay Mike Evans $30 million. If you're telling me on one hand I could pay Mike Evans $30 million or let's say that I'm not even in the Marvin Harrison market, but I could get Keon Coleman. I can get Odunze, the kid from Washington. I'd much rather do that and have club control and get a comparable player at a much cheaper price. I don't think the top of that market's going to be nearly as high as people think. 25 or $30 million? I mean, you think he's going to be one of the five highest paid receivers in the league. 30 is what Tyree Kill got. 28 is what Devontae Adams got. I don't think that's what Mike Evans is getting this offseason. First off, I want to say I respect Spot Track. I like Mike Gennetti, friend of the show, the whole deal. I don't believe his market value numbers. Yesterday, they had, what, Austin Eckler in the fives? I believe that was the number. I think it was like 5-3 when we talked with Bink. Maybe that was Tuesday we talked with Bink. That number seems high for Austin Eckler. They have Mike Evans at $23 million a year. That number seems high for Mike Evans. So if Track's market value numbers are correct, then hard pass on Mike Evans. But I would say Track's market value numbers are based on an algorithm, not how people actually think in the negotiating room. But if it's hard and fast, pure numbers, just the money of it, 23 is nonsensical. Yeah, no, 23 is a pretty ridiculous number. And you guys know I'm all for the Chiefs going out and spending the money in free agency to go get a free agent wide receiver. I just, I find it hard to believe a player that is going to be 30 years old when the deal is signed that a team is going to make him on the five highest paid wide receivers in the league. Maybe he gets the Keenan Allen deal at four for 80, which is around $20 million. I mean, maybe that's what he signs. I think the contract is going to be a lot more comparable maybe to what Brandon Cooks got. Brandon Cooks got two years, $39 million, got around 19 per. That seems about in line with what I think Mike Evans is going to get. I wouldn't sign Mike Evans to a 25 or $30 million contract if I'm any team in the National Football League. Because if you're a team that that's wide receiver dependent, like let's say you really need that wide receiver. I mean, you have to be a team that already has your quarterback in place, right? Like, what team right now do we think is in a position where they're going to really spend that level of money in free agency? It's probably a team on a rookie deal, right? Or like the Bears who will have a rookie quarterback. 
Yeah, but I would also say, though, if you're the Bears and you have all that available cap space, I also have the ninth overall pick. I'm probably not spending the $30 million on Mike Evans. I'm probably being in the Chris Jones market, so I get my defensive player to help that side of the ball, and then I go get a rookie wide receiver, and now I pair Caleb Williams with whoever you think the second best college wide receiver is, and you feel really good about where you are from that point. Like the Bears can go in a lot of different directions, especially if they trade Justin Fields. So you'll have that second round pick and you have two top 10 picks. You can get your quarterback and then you can really go crazy with the next position. I don't think there's a lot of teams that are going to be in the 25 or $30 million range for a 30 year old wide receiver like he is. Because I would say, though, and really quickly, I mean, if you think he's going to get that, how much money do you think T. Higgins is getting? If he gets $23, $25, 30000000 million, the Chiefs should not be active at all in free agency at, at wide receiver. They should just, hey, we're going to draft a guy. It's too, it's too deep a class. We're, we'll figure it out in the draft. We found Rasheed Rice last year. We can find the next guy. They, if the numbers that are being predicted for Mike Evans are correct, then Brett Veach and co should sit down in their office and say, okay, pass. No signing a wide out this year because the numbers are ridiculous because it's a trickle down effect here too. You mentioned the trickle up of T Higgins. Who's the next guy beneath Mike Evans, Michael Pittman. Yeah. Michael Pittman. Probably Michael probably Pittman's going to be 21 in that world. 22. Are you signing Michael Pittman for $22 million a year? I'm not, I'm not signing younger Mike Evans for that deal. And that's not, you know, factoring in things like, Michael Pittman is younger than Mike Evans and things like that. So if the actual market is what the spot track market value is pass. Yeah. I'm just, I'm sitting here looking at, and I'm looking at someone asked, Hey, who are the top free agent wide receivers? I mean, Mike Evans, you can maybe argue that he's the best one. I might argue it's T Higgins just based on age. But if you thought Mike Evans is the best wide receiver in this draft class, I wouldn't fight you that hard. I mean, Odo Beckham is going to be a free agent. Tyler Boyd is going to be a free agent. I like Cedric Wilson as like a third option. I don't think he makes a lot of sense in Kansas City. But if you're a team that kind of needs that third or fourth wide receiver, I can see you going out and get Cedric Wilson. Kendrick Bourne's also going to be a free agent. Rob, your guy, DJ Chark. It's like his sixth time. Love being, it. Sign he's him. always a free agent, Go get DJ him. Chark. How many years in a row is this is DJ Chark? I mean, DJ Chark is perpetually available. He signed three one-year deals after he left Jacksonville. Chase that money, I'm DJ. sick of DJ Chark. Uh, he's a free agent. That's kind of it. You got T Higgins. You got Michael Pittman Jr. I mean, that's probably the list. I mean, is, is that the list? There's probably five free agent wide receivers that you really like. And I mean, Odell Beckham, I mean, I'd sign him, but yeah. the, the amount, the amount that I would sign Odell Beckham for, or maybe what other people would, I, I wouldn't give Odell Beckham a lot of money. Is there a trade candidate too? That usually also shifts the market. I know like, the year the Chiefs walked on Tyreek Hill, and I guess they traded yeah. Tyreek Hill. No, because that was the year Devontae Adams got oh, traded, yeah. A.J. Brown got traded. So, like, you look at the upcoming, the next wave of get-paid guys. Could you see Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase? I mean, not that I think Kansas City would be in that market, but do you think those either one of those guys get traded this offseason? I don't think it's Jefferson, I actually think there's a chance Jefferson yeah. gets traded. I, the Vikings need a total re- rebuild. They need a quarterback. They need a lot of things. It, w- it wouldn't you, stun me. You would me. get a lot for Jefferson, too. You get a massive haul. You'd get Tyreek Plus type of energy. Like, would that shock me? But then what does Justin Jefferson's next contract look like? Which... You know how this works. Once one guy gets the mega deal, the next guy doesn't ask for the team-friendly, I-got-your-back deal in free agency. They ask for closer to that number. That's just kind of how it shakes out. Someone on the text line said, I'd be interested in DJ Chark. He's what people wanted Justin Ross to be. Good I, text. Yeah, I mean. Elite I just, wide out. 
I just would like to point out that if DJ Chark signs with the Chiefs, this will be his fourth team in four straight years. There's, Tell me why a receiver that seems, seems all right. Tell me why nobody wants to commit long-term to DJ Chark. He played for the Jacksonville Jaguars in 21, Detroit in 22, Carolina last year, and whatever. This would be his fourth team in four seasons. The way you feel about Adam Thielen is how I feel about DJ Chark. We you love that, we an Adam that with Adam, Adam Thielen. You love an Adam Thielen. DJ every time Chark he, is Adam Thielen now? Every time he's available, you're like, get Adam Thielen. Yeah, I know. Get a, get a, get a solid... Get a solid gym rat, coach's kid. That was first a, in, first out. Every day of the show before the trade deadline. What's Adam Thielen's yeah, deal? Yeah, go get Adam Thielen. I know. Hold on. Let's not disrespect Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen had a good year last year for old man. What did Adam Thielen do last year? We pull it up real quick, what Adam Thielen did last year. Oh, yeah. He had 1,000 yards receiving last year. I'm the bad guy because I wanted, the, I wanted Adam Ar- Thielen. Correct me if I'm wrong. 1,000 Ar- yards receiving last aren't year. Aren't you the guy that always has on this show? Every team has to have a no, number right, one no. wideout. There he has got a lot to be of one of the team. Too. Someone's got to get all those targets. They're going to throw the football. <laughs> he got, he Let's got not look at the stats. It doesn't matter. <laughs> he got 137 targets last year. <laughs> they only have one good receiver. Rob, he had Adam Thielen had 1,000 yards. His average per catch was 9.8. He was just getting on just nothing but dump offs last year for Carolina. He was catching them, though. He was catching him. I'm not going to let you do this with Adam Thielen. No, I, I I stand by Adam Thielen's season last year. He really got cheated on all pro. He, he, he really should have been a second team all pro wide receiver last year with the year he put together in Carolina. Coming up on the other side, there was a fun debate online. The debate was what's the most unrealistic thing that you've seen in a sports movie? I'll tell you mine next. Keep it right here. It's the drive. The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. You're listening to The Drive. Now CDOT's got one extra point. All right, so I changed my mind about what I want to talk about to end the show today. I wrote this down and I just forgot to get to it, so now let's get to it. Maybe we'll get to it again tomorrow when we have a little bit more time to talk about it. I don't understand the decision by the KC current for a couple of reasons. I guess the biggest reason is they seem really PR savvy and in the know over there. Like in my limited interaction with them, and I don't want to make it seem like I've done a whole lot of stuff with the KC current, but I I feel like I am kind of tapped in on this. They seem like they got a really, really smart group over there. And if someone from over there would have called me and told me, hey, we're thinking about charging $50 of parking, I would have said, all right, I think you can do that, actually, because they don't have a lot of space. Like, it's economics one-on-one, supply and demand. I think people understand that basic principle. Hey, there's not a lot of parking spaces, so we have to charge a little bit more for the parking that we do have, and some people are going to pay it. I don't even think that that's that bad. But if you were going to make the announcement that it's going to be $50 to park your car down there in a city that everybody drives for the most part, you are going to have to also simultaneously announce ways if you don't want to pay the $50 to park. Because I think a lot of people view the $50 as a gate that will stop you from going down there to support something that's really cool. They're building a venue that's primary focus is going to be women's 
sports. There's no venue like that in the country, to my understanding. Not just soccer venue. There is no venue in the country that its sole purpose is women's sports. Outside of this, I think a lot of people want to go and want to support. It's $50 to park your car? I was talking to Alex Gold about it. Alex Gold, who's a season ticket holder, he said for some games it's more to park than it was for his ticket to go to the game. That again, if you're going to charge the 50, okay, but you got to tell people, hey, these are the options. And if you don't have the options yet, wait. Wait the two weeks. Wait the three weeks. I don't care how long you need to wait. But, hey, if you don't want to pay the 50, we're going to have designated parking spots around the city. There's going to be a shuttle that run at these times. Here are your three possible options that you can have. One, you can just pay the 50, and you don't have to worry about it. Or we've worked out a deal with Bally's Casino across. Hey, if you go over there, you buy this, and now you can go over there. There was just a better way to do this if you were the KC Current than hit people with this. When you, you've run a great PR campaign so far, everybody who has a bad thing to say about the KC Current, there's no reason to have a bad thing to say about them. They've been great. This is your PR misstep? $50 parking? There was just a better way to handle this, Rob. There was a much better way. And it's worth noting, they put out a statement saying, a lot of corporate jargon, but they are exploring and in the coming weeks will show a potential off-site you know, parking situation. That will probably be better, but that's what bothers me. If you didn't have all the particulars of the parking plan done, then you shouldn't have released the parking plan. I agree. If your parking plan was, hey, in a few weeks we're going to have some more info about how you don't want to pay 50 bucks a game, we'll figure out how to get you in for much cheaper, then you should have released all of it in one tidy package because now you are getting buried by the $50 a park per game for season ticket holders news cycle, which – Caring to me, and you know how the game is played. Season ticket holders are d- designed to get better perks and packages than the single game guy. If you're a chief season ticket holder, your parking pass per game is better than the person who drives up to the window. If the current is at 50 per game for the season ticket holders, woof if you're a single game goer. Yeah, especially when, correct me if I'm wrong, and I always got a parking pass, so I'm maybe the wrong person to say this. It's free to park at sporting, isn't it? 100% free. It's free. It is free. Now they have priority lots for part for people. Yeah, but yeah, but I, I thought it was free. Now sometimes I usually have the tag and I can park like right there in the front or whatever. But it, it's free. So I just this wasn't the way to do it if you were the KC current. Rob, why don't they hire this show to work PR for these people? I'm here to help. I have no idea. I'm here to help. Because now what what will be a great story in about 14 to 16 days, they take the field of first ever women's sports venue opens up is going to be buried under the news cycle of $50 to park there. And if you know how the internet works, if they have one parking snafu that opening day, that's going to be what you see on Twitter. So on the text line says, I think this is smart. Allow time for people to get over the initial outrage, allow people to process, then listen to people and then give alternative solutions. You could have just done this from the very beginning. You could have just done this from the beginning. The people at Casey Current, they have my number for PR. I would have given them the tools from the very beginning. I live downtown, and I think I know this kind of stuff. I would have told you this is a bad plan. Someone said people are going to park at Bally's. I'm here telling you that Bally's is going to tow your car. <laughs> I mean, they coming out, and they they already have it up on their website. They have a they have the parking plan up. 
They waited for the current, and they already have it. <laughs> I imagine Rieger's the same. And theirs is $75 to park there. It is $50 to park, and you get a $25 gift card to inside their restaurant. You did not think that Bally's was giving you a deal, did you? It's a casino. <laughs> it's a casino. No. They're not cutting deals for you. No, you can pay the 75. Give them the 50 or give us the 75. You can come eat on the inside. Back again tomorrow. Take care of yourself. It's the drive. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.